Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia. A global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com Context of White Supremacy. Justice, Gus T. Renegade, in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Sunday, April 12th, 2015. So I have been told. I was trying to get this program done a week ago, uh, but I had computer difficulties that kind of threw things off. And uh, fortunately, we were able to reschedule. Uh, always phenomenal to hear from third generation physician general and child psychiatrist and author of the ISIS papers, Dr. Frances Cress Welsing. This is her 27th time on the program. I know folks are huge fans of her work, uh, seeing her uh, in Hidden Colors, uh, the documentary series, uh, as well as the numerous lectures and talks that she's given uh, down through the years. Uh, in fact, for folks that are in the Detroit, Michigan area, uh, you should go check Dr. Welsing out. She will be there Later this uh, this month, we will make sure to uh, give out some of the details because I know we have a lot of listeners in the Michigan area. But as always, we are super appreciative uh, that you could share a bit of your time and energy. Just a pleasure to hear from you. Again, our guest, Dr. Francis Cress-Welsing. Dr. Welsing, you're with us. Yes, I am. and glad to be with you. Pleasure is all ours. Um, I guess to go ahead, there's so many things that are happening to uh, kind of get started so we have as much time for people that can call in, ask questions, anything you would like to get Dr. Welsing's views on. Uh, to start with, um, it was it drew a lot of attention for a brief period of time. Uh, I'm sitting here right now with my Starbucks mug. Um, the Race Together campaign uh, where Mr. Schultz, the uh, CEO at Starbucks, white man, uh, come out and said that he wanted to uh, be a part of this dialogue and to talk about this problem of 
racism. Uh, and it got a lot of criticism uh, for a variety of reasons. And within a week uh, disappeared. They decided that they were no longer going to continue this effort. Um, what did that campaign and what was said about it? What did that reveal to you? Well, uh, first of all, I thought that the idea of talking about uh, race and any discussion about race is a discussion about racism. I commend uh, the individuals, Mr. Schultz, I believe. Uh, I commend him for making that effort, and I'm not at all surprised that, uh, you know, I didn't anticipate it that that would happen. But, again, I'm not surprised that uh, there was a refusal to have any dialogue and discussion about racism. Um, and, as a matter of fact, I am sending a letter to Mr. Schultz saying that um, we don't need to invent the wheel, <laughs> reinvent the wheel, because... My institute has been talking about racism for 25 years, nonstop, but certainly commending his effort to try to get uh, the public into that discussion. Uh, it was interesting because I went to Starbucks when I first heard about it, and I made some copies of my definition of racism, and there's a young black woman and a young black man in the Starbucks that I went to. You know, they were the baristas. And uh, interestingly, the store was not, I guess it was the time I was there, so there were not a lot of people. And I asked the young woman, um, you know, was she going to participate in the discussion on racism? And she said, this was in Silver Spring, Maryland, and she said that she didn't know anything about it. But the young man who was there, a young black man, and he had not been told, you know, from corporate headquarters, because I do think just a few, uh, few areas were going to be initially involved, and uh, Silver Spring, Maryland was not on that list. And his comment was very interesting. He said he had heard about it in the news, but he said he was not going to, as a black male, he was not going to engage uh, any people in a discussion on racism. Most of the people who come into that particular Starbucks are white. And he said, and then have somebody get upset or annoyed with what he would have to say, and then he would lose his job. So I thought that that was quite interesting. Fascinating. <laughs> I know uh, we spoke about that as well, and, and for that black male, I think that that is totally logical <laughs> to come to that conclusion, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of thing uh, has happened, uh, where folks have gotten in trouble with all these incidents and giving their opinion and what have you. Um, to kind of move forward, uh, some of the more recent incidents, um, we spoke with you last time, it was February 1st, uh, we spoke with you right at the beginning of Black History Month, and I asked you about forgiveness. Uh, at the time, it was uh, Eugene DeCock, uh, and this is a white man, literal race soldier in every sense of the word, uh, where he 
killed dozens, untold numbers of black people uh, in South Africa to defend, maintain apartheid, white supremacy. And he just was released from prison. He served fewer years than Nelson Mandela. And you said that, you know, you you feel like this forgiving racists is an act of uh, an illustration, really, of our lack of mental health. And since that time, that has been a consistent issue really over the last two months. The situation with Monet Davis, a young black female, 13 years old. Uh, This white guy calls her a slut publicly uh, and then gives his little fake apology. And she announces that she forgives him. She doesn't want him to be reprimanded. Uh, We had the situation just this past week with Walter Scott, black male, gets shot and killed in South Carolina. Within days, his black mother comes out and says that she has forgiveness uh, for this white suspected race soldier who shot and killed her son. Um, Just to revisit that, because I think it's it's so important, uh, your analysis of what's behind these consistent acts where black people, victims of racism, are forgiving whites for mistreating us? Well, uh, uh, I can only repeat it, uh, that I think that, um, you see, just automatic forgiveness uh, when it comes to black people being harmed or killed or injured by people who classify themselves as white. We don't hear people who are white if they have, uh, feel they have sustained some injury or harm from a black person. We don't hear them saying, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. And I was saying in a talk, uh, recently, uh, no one asked the white females who lined up and were accusing Bill Cosby of having sexually or date raped them, and no white person would say to them, one or more, or all of them, uh, a long time has passed. Don't you think it's time for you to forgive Mr. Cosby? Nobody would ever think of that. Do you see, nor would anybody think to ask a Semite of the Jewish religion, uh, well, have you forgiven the German people? Have you forgiven the Nazis for what they did? Do you, do you see? Nobody would even think of saying that. So I think that it is a part of um, black people's tradition from tradition from the time of enslavement. Do you see where the slave master? could beat the black person, and I could just envision the black person being beaten and the slave master or the slave mistress would be saying, say that you forgive me, do you see, and then giving them another lash, say that you forgive me. And so the black person doesn't have a choice but to say, I forgive, master, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. Um, and I don't want to show any disrespect to the mother of Mr. Walker. I mean, I certainly understand uh, what has happened to black people and where that pattern comes in. But when we were in formal slavery, uh, I heard a white female explain to a young black man 
this was at a race relations institute a number of years ago, and the young black man in a small group discussion, he said, I don't believe in racism, I'm a Christian. And an older white female said to him, son, we, meaning we white people, gave you that tradition. We gave you that religion. And we emphasized three things. Slave, obey your master. Turn the other cheek, and you will get your reward in heaven. And so that is the yoke that black people, uh, I say by and large, are still under. Uh, and most black people are not thinking about uh, or understanding that we are in a total system structure of racism. But let me say this as well. When they talk about cases of domestic violence, the victim of the violence, be it a male or be it a female, be it black or be it white, no one emphasizes and says you should forgive the person who has been beating you. You see, they are admonished to respect themselves and go and file a complaint with the police department further press charges and stand by those charges. Because if you keep saying to someone who is beating you, I forgive, that means come back again and hit me again. And then I forgive you, come back again. And even when you are raising children, you know, if you correct a child and say, don't do X, Y, Z, and the child goes ahead and does it. And then the child says, I'm sorry. Okay. The next time, the parent again says, do not do this. This is incorrect behavior. And the child goes ahead and does it. And then the child says, I'm sorry. Now, the parent who fails to respect him or herself and really fails to respect the child will just say, Okay, you're forgiven over and over and over again, then you are raising someone who's going to be a sociopath because you're not saying, all right, you have apologized several times, but now you're going to have to face the consequences for your behavior. If the parent respects him or herself, then the parent will take that position. And if we as black people decide that we are going to respect ourselves, and this is one of the things that has happened to black people in the 500 years of our oppression, including the phase of slavery, formal slavery, is that black self-respect has been completely annihilated. And so, you know, we say, okay, I forgive, I forgive, and then we take the pain and frustration out on each other. It's just like in South Africa, truth and reconciliation. So the people who brutalize black people are allowed to go unpunished. But the pain that is inside of black people goes out towards one another. And the system of racism, white supremacy, 
continues. So I am making the recommendation for black people's mental health that black people take the position that all of the all of these things that we are dealing with, the killing of black men every week, every other day, the incarceration of black men, the unjust sentencing, uh, gentrification, the removal of black people from urban centers across this country, that all of this is the face of racism, white supremacy. And black people have to take the position. We're not going to be in the position of saying we forgive. No, what we're going to insist upon is, number one, that racism, white supremacy as a total system structure be recognized. And number two, when that system has been brought to an end and replaced with a system of justice, then the consideration of forgiveness of that, that won't even be in order because the system of injustice will have been removed and a system of justice established. Now, that's my position as a black psychiatrist, and I would say that I'm certainly recommending that as important for black people's mental health in this system, that the foundation of the position is that we are going to have respect for ourselves second to none. And instead of denying and making apologies for the system of racism, white supremacy, that we are going to hold people who classify themselves as white, because the only reason for the white classification is to take advantage of the established and structured system of racism, white supremacy, and that we are going to hold people who classify themselves as white, responsible. We're not going to spend any time hating white people. But we are going to hold every person who classifies him or herself as white responsible for changing the system. If they want to take a position that they're not racist, well, then stop the people who classify themselves as white, who are. Don't come and join black people. Take the John Brown position and stop the people who are engaging in the practice of racism, white supremacy. And, you know, that's not just calling somebody nigger or the N-word if you want to play euphemisms. But, no, the system of racism, as stated by Neely Fuller, functions in all areas of people activity, economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. And I say that the ultimate goal objective, consciously and or subconsciously, that this system hasn't lasted for 500 years, or not, the system is about white genetic survival on a planet where the white population is a tiny, very tiny population, fewer than one-tenth, 
and white skin is genetic recessive in terms of skin colorations, meaning that because it is a genetic recessive trait in black, the genetic ability to produce melanin pigmentation, and that's what black, brown, red, yellow, off skin coloration is related to melanin pigmentation, black people having the greatest genetic potential to produce melanin pigment and therefore the greatest genetic potential to cause white genetic annihilation. This is why the system of racism and white supremacy exists on this planet. And that dynamic necessitates being able to kill black male persons any time a white person decides to do so. And it's being made clear to everyone that the persons who are authorized to carry guns, they will shoot black men, and then the courts will ex exonerate them, meaning they can do it with impunity. And this is fundamental to what the system of racism, white supremacy is all about, which is why black people must now demand that racism, white supremacy be given the same standalone recognition as when somebody makes a charge of anti-Semitism, that charge stands alone. When somebody makes a charge about discrimination against females, gender discrimination, that charge stands alone. When somebody makes a charge of discrimination against gay, lesbians, and transgender persons, that charge stands alone. The only charge that is rebuffed and denied is the charge of racism, white supremacy. And I say that black people must now stand up and demand that racism, white supremacy be respected, standing alone, not pulling in diversity with every other possible complaint. No, racism, white supremacy, the dynamic that black people have faced at the hands of people who classify themselves as white for the last 500 years. And we must demand that this be recognized and confronted. As a matter of fact, I think that black people should go further and take the position that any candidate that is running for president of the United States whether they are Libertarian, Green Party, Republican Party, Democratic Party. Don't ask black people for their votes unless you step forward and acknowledge the existence of racism, white supremacy as a total system structure because Black people are watching black men being shot and killed, shot in the back and killed every week or every other week or every other day. So, it, it, you know, it would be a complete and total absence of black self-respect on our part if we were not placing this demand front and center to anyone 
who comes to a black person and is requesting that black people consider voting for them to become the next president of the United States. Context of white supremacy. Uh, we had folks who dialed in uh, on this issue yesterday just because it's been so prevalent in so many different ways. Um, one aspect that I think is also very important in terms of how this system operates. I think you use the metaphor of plantation slavery, uh, where the enslaver white person is standing with that whip and beating the black person saying, you're going to forgive me. You're going to forgive me uh, that that still exists today. Uh, and two illustrations I had, there was a, there was an article in the Washington post uh, and they actually was written by a black male. Uh, but the, report was titled uh, Why We Should Forgive Levi Pettit. And Levi Pettit is one of the white students at the University of Oklahoma who was recorded uh, singing his chant about lynching niggers. And uh, he was one of the students that got expelled. And so he did his press conference a few weeks back and he had a whole lot of black people with him. Uh, But the article in the Post, it reads, Levi Pettit is the only one with enough guts to meet with those he offended apologize to them and do so publicly. Pettit will be making amends for the rest of his life. His efforts should be met with open minds and open hearts. That's the first one. And then I hear so many people when any discussion of black people being terrorized by whites, that is racism, the reference will go to Madiba, Nelson Mandela in South Africa, maybe even Archbishop Desmond Tutu as, hey, you can't have a lot of hatred. Uh, You can't hold a grudge forever to solve this problem. We're going to need to work together to love one another and move forward. They will reference Nelson Mandela. And I thought it was interesting because in his autobiography, he has a great segment. I wanted to see if this is an aspect of psychological warfare in terms of making and coercing black people to forgive racism. In uh, Madiba's autobiography, uh, he writes that the Methodist minister was a Reverend Jones, a nervous and gloomy fellow who had been based in the Congo during its revolution. His experience there seemed to be the source of his melancholy. Over and over, he preached the importance of reconciliation, implying that it was we who needed to reconcile ourselves to the whites. One Sunday, during the Reverend's one-sided message, I noticed Eddie Daniels shifting uneasily. Finally, Eddie could take it no longer. You're preaching reconciliation to the wrong people, Eddie called out. We've been seeking reconciliation for the last 75 years. This was enough for the Reverend Jones, and we never saw him again. Uh, Just that passage and and even the previous uh, report. Does this seem like psychological warfare in terms of going to the, the victimized and demanding that, hey, turn the other cheek, just forgive and move forward? Well, see, you could not, you can't run an oppressive state or plantation or a prison and have the inmates become angry at at the jailer. So you, if possible, you engage in the psychological warfare of teaching them a philosophy of forgiveness. 
Now, the prisoner or the slave on the plantation hasn't, hasn't been let free. The prisoner in the prison hasn't been said, we forgive you, and so your sentence is terminated. No one is speaking to the prisoner or the slave on the plantation in that way. But the plantation is run by beating, well, first and foremost, I would say, and uh, maybe somebody will be offended, I would hope not, that when you give the enslaved Africans an image of God that is the same image of the slave master, and say that you must behave yourself so that this image of God, which is the same image as the slave master, so that God will love you and admit you into heaven. You must forgive the slave master. Now, that was the position that black people were in for hundreds of years during the years of formal enslavement. And what could they do about it? when they were beaten and killed at whim. You see, and so that's when these ideas were implanted, and we must begin to step back and view them more objectively and understand that this is an aspect of the maintenance of oppression. And those black people who are admonishing black people that they should forgive, I would say that those people have been harmed by having their self-respect as black people annihilated, whether they're conscious of it or whether they are subconscious. Wow. Wow. That came up exactly yesterday. People were very angry, um, not so much with Monet Davis, the 13-year-old, but just with the fact that it happened, her coming out to pardon uh, this white guy for calling her a slut. Uh, and the same thing with uh, Levi Pettit, the white male who apologized for singing about lynching niggers uh, and had this whole phalanx of black people with him and holding his hand and saying yes, and we're working with him. There were a lot of black people who were angry uh, with these you know, black people for forgiving these racists and they were saying how do you how do you how do you process that what do you think of it is that is it correct to be angry with them uh for forgiving these white people and just to kind of get your response on that i'm sorry say that again there were a lot of black people who were angry about the different black people who forgave these white people and said, you know, we should move forward. Again, Walter Scott, his mother coming out and saying that she had forgiveness for the officer. What is your response for the black people who get upset uh, with these black people who you say have had their self-respect so damaged that they're willing to forgive racism? Well, um, let's embrace, let's embrace each other. (laughs) Excuse me. And be as understanding of each other as possible, while at the same time, those who are able to see the contradiction take the stand that has to now be taken. For example, a black person, uh, you know, a white person comes to a black person and says you forgive, or a black person goes to another black person and says you should forgive. The black person should say, Look, let's give the white person a test. 
let's ask the white person that we are supposed to be forgiving, ask them what is their view about black people receiving reparations for enslavement. Now, the vast and overwhelming majority of people who classify themselves as white do not believe that black people should be given reparations for the mistreatment that took place during the years of formal enslavement. So then what does a black person who is advising forgiveness, what do they think about that? See, the very person that they want to forgive, that person doesn't want to have them receive justice to whatever level one might say reparations represent justice. See, but if you did a poll and asked the question of people who classify themselves as white, What percentage of white people think that when a black person is killed by a white person that the black people should forgive? I would dare say nearly 100% of people who classify themselves as white would say, yes, that's the correct behavior for black people. But if you ask the same white people, what is their position about black people receiving reparations? the same number would say, no, they do not support the idea of reparations. Wow. Excellent question. Excellent question. Um, But this will be my last question on this topic. I just, I think it's so important. and, And so many listeners, myself included, when you were with us last time and just articulated saying, hey, I I think it is mental illness for black people to uh, be going through this, saying we're going to forgive white people for practicing racism, and then also pointing out the fear factor that's still there uh, in terms of of this all being a response to terrorism and trauma of white supremacy. Uh, Serena Williams was in this discussion as well. Uh, Her return last month to uh, Indian Wells, the tennis tournament, where in 2001, uh, she and her entire family uh, were just booed and heckled and, and subjected to thousands of whites yelling racist comments. Uh, just for background, because I know we had talked about this book before, uh, Richard Williams, Black and White, The Way I See It, book club, book club, uh, where he talks about what happened at 2001 at Indian Wells. Uh, and He says a white man sitting in the second row yelled out, nigger, if this was back in 65, I'd skin your black ass alive. I looked him straight in the eye and said, why don't you act like it's 65? I actually made a move in his direction, but he scampered away when another man said to him, leave those niggers alone and just boo the hell out of them. The sound of the angry crowd filled my head with voices from every direction of the stadium. We don't need a nigger in charge of tennis. Let's boo that nigger the whole match. He wants to be called Mr. Williams, but I call him Mr. Nigger. We don't want niggers out here anyway. If you don't like it, play your own tournament. That's why all the tennis players hate you now. The words stung. 
Hot beads of perspiration poured down my face. I was devastated. The year was 2001. How could the same racial issues I confronted in the 1950s reach across time and imperil my daughters? I was told that prejudice did not exist in professional tennis. That proved to be untrue. What I found out was that prejudice did exist. It was accompanied by hate. As Serena walked into the almost filled to capacity stadium, she was met with an onslaught of booze. Did they realize they were insulting an American champion who had won the U.S. Open and successfully represented her country in the 2000 Olympics? Only hate would compel people to turn their backs on her that way. The crowd booed Serena as she got ready to play Kim Clijsters for the championship. People applauded her double faults and unforced errors. Blacks have long been accustomed to being belittled, criticized, and treated like second-class citizens. Here was proof that race still played a role in sports as Serena experienced firsthand the result of hate. Being black in a traditionally white sport, we had often been met with criticism and condemnation. We used to say you can dress a black man up, but in the eyes of a white man, he's still just a dressed up nigger. We had put a black tennis player on the podium of Olympic victory, but when she came down, she was still just another nigger. I will stop there, but this is black and white the way I see it. So just so people have some context for all of the conversation around this being such a wonderful thing that Serena Williams went back to this tournament where you just heard what Mr. Williams says happened. They wrote about all of this greatness of our reconciliation with her return. Uh, this was in the New York Times by William Roden, author of Forty Million Dollar Slave. Uh, he was saying that the white tournament officials, they wanted to delete history about what happened. And uh, he says, why you can't delete it, I want to tell you it feels great that she's back, talking about Serena, uh, and how happy they were to have her back. He goes on to say, at, any, at the moment, everything had just, it felt so good to be out there, Serena Williams said. I felt like I made the right decision, and I knew I wanted to do it. I knew I really wanted to do it, talking about how happy she was. And she actually cried as she entered the stadium and heard the ovation from this predominantly white audience uh and this was so wonderful just what are your what are your thoughts on that how does that fit into your theory well now did the uh tournament apologize to serena i have heard that they've reached out over the years uh and that i think some form of an apology was offered uh, to try to get her back before she actually came back this year um, but yeah, I think, I think at many points they have reached out to apologize for, for what happened. I just, an addendum, Venus Williams, her sister, she does not share the same view. She said emphatically, she will never play there again. And also not to ask her about it anymore. So they do not have the same opinion about this event. Well, you see, I would say, uh, you know, this would just be my opinion that if Serena wanted to play, and decided that she was going to play. But it's like I would say what you have to do is again announce the apology. You see, what if the tournament officials, before Serena came out, you know, and they said, we deeply apologize again. We have offered our apology in the past, 
and we deeply apologize again and again and again. And we are so grateful that Ms. Williams has decided to come and play in our tournament. You see, but Serena didn't have to offer uh, a forgiveness. She could decide to go and play, and it would be up to the tournament officials to say in front of the entire audience before she came out that we have to take full 100% responsibility for the racism, white supremacy behavior that Ms. Williams was confronted with when she played in thus and so year. And whereas we recognize that racism, white supremacy exists all over the globe, uh, Ms. Williams, the most outstanding player, tennis player that there has ever been, has agreed to come and play tennis on this court. And so we want to lay out the red carpet of apology again and again and again to her. And then Serena go and play and beat them. They definitely did not say that. <laughs> in, in but do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. This is the position that black people need to take before casting a vote for any candidate for presidency. Hillary Clinton, if you want black people's vote, then acknowledge the, I mean, how can a candidate jump on to any other issue other than the fact that black men are being shot dead in the street? And if a candidate is not going to address that and then ask black people for their vote, my goodness gracious, so that they can just keep on the candidate is elected and then they just keep going forward and shooting and killing black people? What does that say is, is wrong with us? Mm. Lack of mental health. <laughs> Lack of mental health. Uh, context of white supremacy, Dr. Francis. The absence of sufficient levels of self-respect and self-respect in a system of racism, white supremacy, self-respect has to mean the conscious awareness of the system that is taking black people towards genocide. Mm. See, when you kill the men of a people, you are engaging in the genocide of those people. And it's just like when you have a whole total across the country, a national agenda to gentrify, meaning move, remove black people from the urban centers, from Washington, D.C. to every other state. Remove the black people from the urban centers. We don't want them around. The cities are supposed to be for intelligent, creative people whose skins are white. Hmm. See, it's time for us, again, that doesn't have anything to do with hate. What it has to do with, at this critical point in time when we are watching black men being killed every other week and people let off for killing them, that we are not going to finally take a stand and say, 
enough is enough. We demand the acknowledgement that we are in a system of racism, white supremacy, and it's not a system about the police need to be retrained. No, it's an entire system structure that black people have been confronted with for the last 500 years, and it is about the genetic survival of the white minority on the planet, and that necessitates killing black men. Context of white supremacy, absolutely. Um, even <laughs> we are a week removed. Uh, I think this was the 47th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King last Saturday. Another illustration right there. Um, moving forward, some of the other things I wanted to make sure that we were able to cover. One of our listeners uh, is doing a, a fascinating project. He's in graduate school. He's doing a project on state sanctioned, that would be the state of white supremacy, sanctioned sexual violence against black males. And I told him that I had been seeing so many different examples of this uh, since he mentioned the project to me. About every other day, I uh, see a different clip. I just wanted to get uh, your thoughts, if any of this coincides with your theory of white genetic annihilation uh, and the inferiority that you talk about in terms of uh, melanin recessive whites and how they think of melanin dominant black people. Uh, so one of the incidents, your native Chicago, uh, in October of 2012, police sodomized uh, with a pistol, a black male with one officer yelling, all in quotes, I hear that a big black nigger dick feels like a gun up your ass. Direct quote. The next uh, example, uh, this is a big report that just came out a few weeks ago, also in the state of Illinois. Uh, it reads as an example, and this is a class action suit against hundreds of guards. This is widespread. This is not just one or two bad apples, as they say, but the report, it reads in part as an example of the torture, the predominantly black non-white inmates had to endure a strip search in front of female officers, touch their genitals and spread their buttocks and then use the same hand to open their mouths. They would also have to march from their housing units to the gym at the facility with their heads on the backs of the prisoners ahead of them in line so that one man's genitals were in direct contact with the next man's buttocks. If they broke the formation, they would be violently attacked by the guards, according to the suit. The guards called this direct quote, nuts to butts. The last incident, this is St. La uh, Lauderdale, Florida, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, excuse me, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, and this just came out within the last two weeks that there were a group of white officers who were exchanging uh, text messages. Uh, all of these racist comments about black people. And one of the comments read, uh, I had a wet dream that you found those two niggers in the Volkswagen and gave them the death penalty right there on the spot. 
direct quote from a white officer who they allege is facing some sort of punitive action for this. Uh, What do these incidents of state sanctioned violence against black males in particular, what does this reveal to you, your understanding of white supremacy? Well, I would say that those are acts of genital demeanment and they result because white males feel genitally, genetically inadequate compared to black men. In other words, it's black people and black men who have the genetic power to cause white genetic annihilation. So white males consciously, subconsciously feel that their genitals compared to the black man's genitals are inadequate. And so then once they have the black male in a situation of incarceration where they can do whatever it is that they want to do to them, inclusive of killing them should they decide that they begin to engage in the demeanment of the black male and the black male's genitals because it is the whites who feel genetically inadequate compared to the black male. Now, we can even show as proof when white males produce a son, they give out, they don't give out cigarettes. Cigarettes and cigars are phallic symbols. They don't give out cigarettes that would be reflective of a white phallus. When a white male has a son, he hands out cigars large cigars, which are emblematic of the black male's genitals. But in the white psyche, it's saying that this is a really powerful genital compared to my small white genitals. And even in the English language, white males have the word fag to refer to that's what they call the cigarette, a fag compared to comparing it to white genitals and even looking at the ball games where out of the white psyche, the ball games and the balls actually refer symbolically to the testicles. And so out of the white brain computer, the ball games that are played with big brown balls, with big balls are brown, in contrast to white balls, which are much smaller. So this symbolism that comes from the subconscious is repeating what I have said or reflecting what I have said about whites feeling genitally inadequate, white males feeling genitally inadequate compared to black males. And this is the importance of the gun. In the white psyche, they're thinking about the black male, you have genitals that can annihilate me. Their brain computer says, must create weapon, can do same thing. And that's the gun.
and they call the gun the great equalizer, and they also call themselves on occasion sons of guns because the black male with his anatomy, no weapon with his anatomy, can cause white genetic annihilation. But the white male has to get a gun, which is why there cannot be gun control. And certainly there cannot be gun control where a white black president is talking about controlling guns. And when President Obama became president, they had this massive gun purchasing, which they called the Obama effect. That just because a black man is in power, then whites feel that they have to instinctively go out and purchase guns. And each time these black males are killed by white police officers, very often the white police officer, who is the only one that is armed in the situation, starts talking about, I was afraid of him. Well, the armed person being afraid of the unarmed person, the question is, what are they really talking about? Or they say, I thought he had a weapon. Well, he didn't have a weapon. What are they talking about? And this goes to what is in the subconscious. What's in the subconscious awareness is that blacks have the genetic power that can cause white genetic annihilation. And this is what the whole show is all about. When I mentioned <clears throat> the last of the three incidents that I read, um, and I'll read it again for listeners, uh, and this is from the Fort Lauderdale Police Department, one of the white suspected race soldiers, sent a text message while on duty uh, saying, I had a wet dream that you found those two niggers in the Volkswagen and gave them the death penalty right there on the spot. And I said in, in processing that to me, it suggested that for white people, in this case, a white male, but for white people, there seems to be a sexual pleasure in committing violence against black people. And you said not pleasure, sexual power in practicing violence, terrorizing black people. Can you explain? Well, I would say it's a fantasy of it's a fantasy of sexual power and the wet dream do you see the black man's ejaculate has genetic material that can annihilate white. So this person talked about having a wet dream about another person with a gun, another white person with a gun, killing black people. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so the wet dream meaning I had an ejaculation, and my the ejaculation represented bullets. You see, it's like the black male's ejaculate with the genetic power that can cause white annihilation. And so then this person is fantasizing or having a wet dream, but then having another white person kill a black person or kill several black persons with a gun. 
the gun, in other words, I don't have the ejaculate that can annihilate, but I can have a gun and bullets that can annihilate. Wow. I don't know if that's clear to you. That's the great equalizer. I don't have the genetic power, but I have the gun power. My bullets are the same as your genetic ejaculate. Crystal. Well, they're not the same as, but the substitute for. This is the way I produce equalization. I try to produce equalization. Just being you, you can annihilate me without a weapon. But I have recessive genetic material, so I need a gun to annihilate you. And so I just run around shooting every black male that I can find. And that gives me a sense of genetic power. See, it's the same thing as, well, I would say a parallel, that uh, if a white male hands out a 12-inch long cigar when he has given birth, when his wife has given birth to a white son, it's like saying, I, I, I'm a real man. Well, who is the real man? The black man is the real man with the real genetic power. And I am envious of him and jealous of him and afraid of him, and so I have the necessity to kill him. And my whole system is structured so that I can kill him and get away with it. All I have to say is I was afraid. See, that's the meaning of you don't want to get caught behind the eight ball in the in the game of pool. See, the last thing you want to be caught is behind the eight ball, the eight ball representing the black male's testicles that have the power to cause white genetic annihilation. So a black man being in the presidency it's subconsciously experienced as being behind the eight ball, the black ball in the game of pool. Mm, wow. <clears throat> Would it make sense then uh, in terms of, of processing it, um, minimizing, diminishing black masculinity by encouraging this uh, homosexual behavior uh, in for example, this uh, nuts-to-butts routine where they force the black male inmates to walk with uh, their genitals touching the anus of the black inmate that was in front of them, uh, would that tie into what you're saying? Well, I would say yes. I mean, that's just like long-term incarceration, and so that male persons end up, uh, they don't absolutely have to, but they're put in a position to want to have sexual relationships with one another, you see, which is like turning some into females. And this is, I mean, the wealthiest black man in Hollywood, Tyler Perry, is a black male who puts on a dress. And so that would be, in other words, if the white brain computer says, how can we... 
um, reduce our fear of white genetic annihilation at the hands of or at the genetic power of the black male. Well, if we cannot feminize the black male and turn him into a female, then we don't have to worry about white genetic annihilation. So let's turn as many black males into females as possible. Now, what are the various routes that we can do this? Well, if we don't employ black men so that a man has to have a job to function as a husband and to function as a father. So by controlling the high level of unemployment of black males, then you can really force black males out of the family structure. And then the male sons don't have fathers to teach them how to be a male or masculinity. So that would be one, one method of effeminizing. Another method might be uh, if there are chemicals that can change uh, males into females uh, in utero by what the mother is eating, or if you can do it that way, then you think, well, maybe we'll use that method. Any method possible, any method that we can think of to destroy the masculinity of the black male reduces the anxiety and fear of white genetic annihilation. So again, this is why it is absolutely necessary to look at racism and white supremacy beyond saying white people hate black people. No, what actually is going on that is the motivation behind the behavior that we call racism and white supremacy? And that's what I laid out, that it is the fear on a planet where the vast majority of people are skin-pigmented people. You have a very tiny minority of people who lack the genetic ability to produce melanin pigment, and those people are called white. They call themselves white. They call the vast majority of the people with skin coloration non-white. And so on a planet where the overwhelming majority of people are non-white, people of color, of various degrees of skin coloration, that uh, it becomes essential if you want to remain white, what will be the methods that we will employ? And certainly we will not tell the people that that is what we're doing because then they will be on to us and then they will have a constructive way of countering what we're doing. And I maintain that one way of dealing with racism and white supremacy is for black people to become aware. But even with these shootings of black males, uh, I think in the Walker family, one of the family members was asked, do you think this is racism? And the person said, I don't know, I don't think so. See, you have black people who consciously, subconsciously want 
white people to approve of them, they will be in the business of benign racism at the same level that people who classify themselves as white deny racism. But the denial of racism is essential to the maintenance of racism. You pretend that it doesn't exist. But it does exist, and it's killing and destroying people every minute in one way or another. I mean, you can be destroyed if you don't have a good education, if you don't have excellent health care, if you have second-class health care. There are many ways to destroy people. You can have drones destroy people. You can have viruses destroy people. So I think that it's, uh, in my view, it's important for black people to begin to say, no, it is absolutely essential that we all begin to talk about racism, white supremacy. Not we have to try to understand racism, white supremacy has been going on for longer than 500 years. And it necessitates the destruction of black and other non-white people. It's just like the people that are being killed in mass numbers on the planet. These are all non-white people impoverished people who don't have factories to make ammunition. So these guns are being made, manufactured, and being given to them. And because they don't really understand what's going on, then all you have to do is, you know, set up confusion and say, this group is fighting you. ISIS is doing this. Boku Haram is doing that. Al-Qaeda is doing that. All these mysterious groups and their mysterious names. The bottom line is non-white people all over the planet are being killed. Absolutely. So who has the historic record of killing non-white people? Racist man, racist woman. Absolutely. Um, one of the you were talking about different ways that you can uh, destroy a group of people, uh, certainly destroying infrastructure, destroying access to education. Uh, last thing I wanted to ask before I got some of the folks who dialed in uh, the recent conviction, I believe it was 11 uh, black educators. Uh, in Atlanta that were convicted. I think they even <laughs> included some RICO charges that's, you know, generally, uh, to my understanding, reserved for like gangster and, and mafia figures. Uh, but they were convicted, led out of the courtroom in shackles. Uh, and the judge is saying, you know, we're, we're they, they made their bed, they got to lay in it. And, you know, they're, they're going to have to do their time. Uh, they were looking at uh, charge some of them even looking at, you know, 10 years uh, could even be more than that, depending on on what the sentencing is. Uh, what did you think about that case and that that conviction, particularly since nobody was indicted, charged even uh, in Ferguson after the DOJ report, as well as the killing of Michael Brown? But what were your what were your thoughts about the uh, conviction of these black educators? Well, um, 
you, you know, I don't, I don't know all of the details, but if the people uh, were engaging in changing test scores, in other words, that's against the law. And I think it's a tragedy that the people were put in a situation where they have to be so fearful of losing their jobs based on test scores when the test scores of black children in particular are being determined by what happens in their family structure. Do you see that? If you, let's say you have a test and you give the same test to children whose both parents are lawyers and they have uh, a very high level income and they have access to books and they have access to learning in the home. And then you give the same test to a child who is in a single parent household and the mother has to have three jobs in order to try to support the family and the child doesn't get all of the attention and help with homework. And so then you're going to give these two children the same test. And so then you're going to blame the teachers instead of saying, no, a system of racism, white supremacy, white supremacy has families that are black having high numbers of impoverished people compared to families who are white. And so the system structure itself is responsible for the test scores of the children. Not blaming the teacher. The teacher cannot correct. A teacher in a classroom with 25 or 30 children cannot correct for the impoverished home that is caused by the system of racism, white supremacy. And so I would say that it was, it was unjust punishment of teachers who are not responsible for the system of racism, white supremacy. But if you don't talk about the system of racism, white supremacy, then, well, let's just pick on these black teachers and blame them for trying to keep their jobs. Now, I am not justifying if they indeed, you know, altered the test or did something they should not have done with the test then uh, that is very unfortunate. But let's look at the whole picture. I don't see how any teacher, a single teacher in a classroom, or even if you had a teacher and a teacher aide, or a teacher and two aides, can make up for the impoverishment that may be a child's home life where half the time the child has to come to school without adequate food or go home and not have any dinner or not have all the necessary supplies that a child from a upper middle class or wealthy family across town can have. 
that's sick in and of itself. But again, if people get away with denying that racism, white supremacy is what it is, and this is why when Neely Fuller says the system of racism, white supremacy encompasses all areas of people activity, economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. It encompasses all areas of people activity. So, again, if anything, black people should be saying, we want, we want to look at why did these teachers feel that there was any necessity to alter the grades? What were they attempting to compensate for? You see, because the system is not taking responsibility for the disparate conditions in the homes of white and black children that impact how a child is going to perform in the school setting. See, I look at the despair of low-income black people you know, somebody might say, just get on the bus and ride the bus or ride around in a neighborhood where they're the most impoverished people and see the desperation and the condition on the faces of the people or the condition of the children. And these are not bad people. No, they are the victims of a system of racism, white supremacy. And they're the people who are experiencing extreme victimization. The president is experiencing victimization by the system of racism and white supremacy. Every day he is attacked. Every single day he is attacked. And I wonder as a child psychiatrist, how is this impacting his children? Their father is supposed to be in the most powerful position in the world, but because he's a black man, he has to endure attack, attack, attack. You see, where white people decreed that their job was to see that he fails. So we're going to do everything possible to make you appear as though you won't succeed. Well, that impacts his children that their father has to be attacked every day. Or the children learn that, oh, a drone came over the wall, the fence. Or the house was shot at. Or dad has received more death threats than any other president in history. Their fear that something may happen. His wife's fear that something may happen. Black people fear that something may happen to him, God forbid. You see, but those children are impacted by that. Just like the children who are impacted by seeing a black man chased down and a white man behind him with a gun, firing and shooting and killing. So every black male, every black male child 
even though they're not crying overtly about it, has to be in fear. That could be me. So I say racism, white supremacy is the highest form of terrorism. Don't talk about Al-Qaeda. Let's talk about the terrorism of the system of racism, white supremacy. That black people, even the black people who just look at the TV and have to look at the scene of this black man being chased and shot down and feeling a sense of helplessness, uh, an immediate sense of helplessness, we can't do anything about it. They even dare the president to talk about racism. None of the so-called leaders of black people can talk about racism, white supremacy, without their funds being cut. So they can talk about abstractions, but they dare not talk about racism, white supremacy, otherwise they won't be able to have a convention. corporate-sponsored conventions. See, black people, we're in the same situation that the Semites of the Jewish religion were in under Adolf Hitler. See, under Adolf Hitler, and, and every black person ought to go to the library, go to the bookstore and get some books on what was happening in Nazi Germany and look at how the Semites of the Jewish religion First of all, they couldn't always be identified by their color. So that's why Hitler had them put on yellow stars. And Hitler said they were not white. It's just like having a whole lot of black people who can pass for white, but the state still recognizes that they are not white. So they had yellow stars, and they could be beat up on the street, killed and humiliated any time a white officer, Nazi officer, or a brown shirt, or a black shirt, anytime somebody felt like beating them up and killing them. So any black person with any awareness of history would have to say, gosh, we're in the same situation that they were in. They felt they couldn't do anything to stop it. What do we feel we can do to stop it? I say that's why you know, I think a person in the Caribbean told me the expression, you have to make your mouth a gun. You have to talk about it. You have to try to get over your fear and talk about the reality, not continue to pretend that it doesn't exist. So black people, we need to demand anybody that puts themselves out and says they're a leader, then you lead by talking about this system of racism, white supremacy, that necessitates the killing of black men. And if you don't want to talk about it, don't call yourself a leader. Just call yourself a person that has a job. I'm sorry to be blunt about it.
but it's time to be blunt. Mm. Time to be blunt, Ashe. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, context of white supremacy. Uh, just as you were talking, I was reminded there was a report they were talking to black residents in North Charleston where uh, Walter Scott was killed this uh, past few days and uh, they were talking to an older black male and he said that his black grandson is angry because of the way he's been mistreated and the police stop him all the time when he's not doing anything and he's angry and he said that he won't talk to his grandson won't talk to him won't talk to his black father because we're powerless there's nothing we can do about it and we're subject to the same system and he doesn't have a reason to talk to us because there's nothing that we can do to help him solve his problem. And this, this was on NPR like uh, two days ago where he said all of this. And uh, I, that remind, reminded me when you were giving your uh, response, that was one of the first things that popped in my head uh, as well as uh, at, for Atlanta specifically. That's so close to where uh, Kendrick Johnson was found in the gym mat. I was thinking that maybe some of these black students Maybe they were traumatized by someone who was their age, looked like them, dying under suspicious circumstances and no explanation. Uh, maybe that's also contributing to their difficulties in the classroom and, and trying to uh, do well on these standardized tests. Um, we did have some folks who uh, dialed in uh, who had questions. Uh, if you would like to get Dr. Well, Wilson. let me just say this. So mm -hmm. let me just say this. You know, when you talk to some of these young black male people, and they tell you that they don't expect to live to be 25 years of age, that for you to work hard and study in school, you have to believe that you have a future. See, why work hard in the fifth grade if you think you're going to be dead before you're 25? And so even though, I mean, the number of children who have seen many people in their age group killed, not to mention when it's somebody in their family, but if they think this is going to happen to me or chances are great this will happen to me, then that begins to reduce the enthusiasm even at a subconscious level, of committing my energy to learning the things that are being put in front of me to learn. Because I don't think I have a future. I mean, if, when I was told I was in the second or third grade, I told my father, who was a doctor, I said, I want to be a, I'm going to be a nurse. I had drawn this picture in the second grade, and my father said, well, if you're going to be a nurse, you might as well be a doctor. And I said, oh, but all along, I'm working hard in school and trying to make good grades, but with the belief I can become a doctor. And so that motivation is carrying you through the various grades and on to achievement. But if a child feels, I'm not going to be alive. So it doesn't make sense. I asked a child that was 10 years of age. This is years ago when I was in the Department of Pediatrics at Howard University College of Medicine. 
And the parent brought in a 10-year-old black child who the teacher said he's smart, but he's not doing well in school. And he won't do his homework or some complaint, typical complaint. And so I said to the little boy, sweetheart, don't you want to work hard in school um, so that you can help black people? That's the language that I use. And this little boy said very politely, no. And I was a little bit shocked by that. And I said, why not, sweetheart? He said, if you try to help black people, you will be killed. And he said, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, George Jackson, the child just gave a litany, listing the names of people who have been killed. And I thought to myself, IQ has to be 265. A little 10-year-old child having perceived what was happening in his environment and what was happening, the killing and the destruction of black men, that was in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. But he saw what was happening in his environment and had basically given up. So it's time for it's time for black people to start being real and stop playing games with white people about whether racism and white supremacy exist. And it's time for white people to stop playing games of deceit, lying and deceit, and pretending that racism and white supremacy does not exist. It does exist, and that's why we see what is happening in this part of the world. Indeed, what is happening in Africa. So it's time for everybody to like they say, man and woman up. Okay. <laughs> right on, right on. Um, if folks have uh, questions they want to get in, Dr. Welsing, again, 760-569-7676, and the code is 564-943-POUND. Uh, if you can... Just get to your question. No speechifying, so we can get to as many callers as possible. That would be grand. Uh, caller at 09, excuse me, 0494, 0494. Do you have a question for Dr. Welsing? You should be with us. Last four digits, caller 0494. Did you have a question for Dr. Welsing, or are you just listening? No, I do have a question. Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. Uh, good evening, or, yeah, greetings, Dr. Walsing. Um, greetings. Mm-hmm. Greetings. I have uh, two questions. I'll just ask my first one right now. Um, kind of give me one at a time, okay? Most definitely. Um, in your book, The ISIS Papers, I was curious about asking you personally, um, and I read it, um, what is the importance of, or why the importance of expressing um, your thoughts on the issue of racism, white supremacy, or racism, albino supremacy, 
through the use of symbolism and symbols. Well, let me just say, in other words, the brain creates symbols. It's like the brain can crunch data. And so the brain functions at conscious and subconscious levels. And so some of the work of psychiatry, and especially work of child psychiatry, and child psychiatry before it just became giving medication, uh, you would be taught to understand when children are playing, what are they saying in the kind of play that they engage in. And so a child very often cannot explain exactly what is troubling him or her. But if you have them in the playroom and you have a number of toys that they can pick and choose from and how they begin to play with and relate to the child, to those toys, they are engaging in play, which is also symbolic behavior. It's just like ball games. Ball games are within the system of racism, white supremacy, is symbolic play, playing out fundamental concerns that are at the subconscious level that the conscious level doesn't want to deal with. So, for example, basketball or football, where you have brown balls in the case of the football, going into some white upright legs at the end of the field. The round basketball, big brown ball, goes into a white net. Well, what do white females say is their ideal mate? Tall, dark, and handsome. And so that is being played out and white males are, and you have white females in short skirts dancing on the side. And you have a predominantly white male audience. So white males don't go around consciously saying, the white female doesn't say, I'm her ideal mate. She says her ideal mate is tall, dark, and handsome. So when I'm in the voyeur position in the stands watching a brown ball go into white, some white upright legs, I am symbolically engaging in now I have made myself the equivalent of the black male in terms of satisfying the white female. So it's not Francis Welsing. I mean, people, you know, from time immemorial have interpreted dreams. Some of the work of the psychiatrists, you know, ask a patient, have you had any dreams? And so the psychiatrists, the psychiatrists of the old school who would spend time talking and listening to patients, you ask them about their dreams and you can see some of the things that the person has not mentioned at the conscious level, you can see things that are disturbing them at the subconscious level. Okay, okay so does that oh. clarify anything to you? Yeah, that clarifies a lot. Okay. 
Um, and then my second question is, um, I had heard, I think, in past interviews that you were uh, possibly thinking about uh, a second, um, a part two to the ISIS papers. Um, yes. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. I thought part one was, like, excellent, and it seemed to me, like, to be very straightforward and very clear. And um, I, uh, I guess I'm kind of curious as to what you really thought um, It's hard for me to think that there is actually more to be said. Um, and, and, you know, because I feel like the work is just so powerful in, in, in its honesty. And um, we as a people should be able to, like, read this, understand this, and then take the message and do what we need to be doing. And so, um, is, it, is there a part two? I don't have to write another, another book. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 well, I, I personally think it's just there. I, I think it's whatever you do put out, obviously, it's great. Um, um, but, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess that's what I'm actually either saying or asking or I'm kind of curious as to um, what else is there and when will we hear about it. <laughs> Well, let's put it this way, that until the problem is solved, you see, then you can have thoughts about what else can we do or how we can do better at attempting to solve this problem. Because I say that this is our responsibility. This is our responsibility as... uh, black people, as people of color on this planet. And those people who classify themselves as white who are not afraid to look at injustice and not afraid to look in the mirror and think about their own behavior and decide that they are going to rise above denial and deceit and face the problem, not and come and join black people, but they are in a better position as people who classify themselves as white to stop other white people. Stop other white people by whatever means they find that they need to use. If you're not racist, stop the ones who are. See, that would be like giving German people the charge. If you are not an anti-Semite, you're a German person during the Second World War under Adolf Hitler. If you are not an anti-Semite but you're a German, then stop the ones who are. Because if you're just standing along and going along to get along, then you are an anti-Semite or you're a white supremacist in this society. So don't tell people of color, don't tell black people, I have a girlfriend, I have a boyfriend who's white, so I can't be a racist. Slave masters slept with black people, forced black people to have sex with them, Thomas Jefferson included. So that is not the answer. Black women nursed white babies, so... Proximity of bodies is not the answer. The answer is to face this system of racism, white supremacy for what it is, and stop it, 
produce justice so that the possibility of peace and the conditions for the maximal development of all people on the planet. Okay. Appreciate uh, the questions, caller. Uh, the person who dialed in, uh, let's see, this is... Caller, I guess you're on a block number. Caller from a block number, did you have a question for Dr. Welsing? Thank you. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Thank you, Gus, and Justice, for the program today. Good evening to everyone here today. Hello, Dr. Welsing. I Hello, am, how are you? Mm-hmm. I'm fine. I am always so excited to speak to you. I admire you. You are my hero, and thank you for being a courageous warrior in this battle to replace racism, white supremacy with justice. You are my Wonder Woman. Um, My question is, how do you stay inspired to do your work in the face and the force of racism, white supremacy practices firing at us 24-7 nonstop? Well, you you know, in other words, I do believe that uh, people have to tune in and almost say, what is my assignment um, on the planet? And I believe that, uh, you know, I guess half-jokingly said, my cosmic assignment In other words, what you find yourself focusing on or what you find yourself determined to do, like when I started training in psychiatry, after never having thought I would ever be a psychiatrist, that was just not something I was initially interested in in medicine. But by a quirk, I ended up in a psychiatry training program and just started wondering well, what was making black people mentally ill? And since my family uh, oriented uh, my sisters and myself, you know, they're, you know, they did not say get an education and leave the black community. Their admonishment was, you know, you're being given an education for you to learn and uh, help your community. So there I was in a training program. Uh, None of the instructors were black, but there were black and white patients. And the white instructor said black people didn't have the intelligence to benefit from psychotherapy. Well, I'm a third-generation physician. My father was a physician. His father was a physician. So, you know, not having intelligence, that's insane. And so I just didn't accept that and just was wondering what is making black people mentally ill and taking histories on black patients. And you see the racism in the histories, just like racism is in the history of every black person, every person of color on the planet. And I said, I want to understand more about racism. So that's, you know, nobody forced me into... uh, thinking or raising questions in that way. Those were just questions that occurred to me. And I decided, well, I'm going to go in pursuit of the answers. And uh, that was what I did. So I'm 
I'm, you know, I am uh, troubled. Uh, I was looking at a, a magazine at the newsstand today called Hip Hop, Hip Hop Weekly. And I saw the despicable images of black people. I was I was actually stunned, no matter what kind of thoughts I had in my mind about how we are being demeaned and degraded through image. I was just shocked at the images. Now, things like that, <laughs> you know, I, I said, my goodness, you know, the worst thoughts that I had about how black people were being depicted didn't compare with what I saw in this hip-hop weekly magazine on the newsstand. Uh, so, you know, yes, you get shocked looking at this black man being shot at or, you know, the, the images of uh, all of the people who have been, you know, beaten up by so-called police officers. Those things are disturbing, but, um, you know, if you say, well, this is not correct, this is not just, and so you say, well, you know, I, if I see it, I'm supposed to do something about it. And so that's those are just my feelings. If I see it, and if I think I have knowledge and understanding, I'm supposed to do something about it. I'm supposed to speak to it. Uh, and so anybody that feels that they think, well, this shouldn't be, this is a problem, then use your brain computer and say, well, I want to do something about this problem. And if I don't have the courage, see, I say courage is a cousin of self-respect, the first cousin of self-respect. And without self-respect, there's not going to be courage. And I say self-respect is more powerful than a nuclear weapon. And so whatever, you know, whatever you see, take yourself seriously. Value yourself. Value your brain computer. Value the data that your uh, senses bring to your brain computer. And if you're disturbed, say, I want to learn about this and I want to understand this. I ran and I was at the post office today. A man yelled at me, Dr. Welsing, Dr. Welsing, ran across the street. I never met him before. He told me that he was from West Africa and that uh, he had been in prison once for some mistakes that he made. And he said somebody presented him uh, with a copy of the ISIS papers. And he said that book helped me tremendously and it has changed my life because I'm understanding things that I didn't understand before. And so, again, you know, all of us, all of us are able to think, all of us are able to make decisions about what it is that we are going to do about the things that we see. And I say, you know, first and foremost, self-respect has been uh, trampled on, black people's self-respect. That's what these horrific, despicable images of black people why we are bombarded with those images.
uh, to annihilate self-value and to annihilate self-respect. But it's important to understand that, and it's important for people to decide, I am going to value myself second to none. I am going to value black skin second to none. I just made some T-shirts. One of them says, all the colors are fine, but most black is most beautiful. Most black, that is the color that the system of racism and white supremacy has tried to make us hate and to admire the colors made by the rape of our great-grandparents by the slave masters, making melanin diluted colors. Now, all the colors are fine, but black people need to decide, wait a minute, how did we look? before the grand grandmothers were raped. Now, we are going to respect that color second to none. And in our list of what is beautiful, that's going to be at the top of the list. All the colors are fine, but most black is most beautiful. That's a major step. Encountering racism, white supremacy. See, all the colors are okay. But instead of people putting most black as the last thing that they think about as being beautiful, no, it's important for us to put it foremost in our valuation because we don't even have a clue as to what the significance and the power of the black pigment melanin is. I happen to think that it has great power because it is a superior absorber of energy. But anyway, <laughs> that brings, I hope that answers some of your question. Yes, it does, and it brings me to one final question. Um, with the conduct and behavior of black people today, do you believe there will be a day when racism, white supremacy is replaced with justice? Because in my opinion, some of the conduct and behavior of black people today is entertainment for white people, and white people are not pained by the killing of black people Yeah, white people are now what I didn't hear that. In my opinion, the conduct and behavior of black people today is entertainment for white people and therefore mm -hmm. white people are not pained by the killing of black people by white people in any circumstance. So no, I think you are absolutely correct. In other words, again, study what happened in Nazi Germany. Hitler had a minister of propaganda whose name was Joseph Goebbels, and it was his job to depict Semites of the Jewish religion in, you know, like horrible images in magazines and newspapers and movies. And that was to prepare the minds of the German people so that they would be ready to destroy the Semites of the Jewish religion. And the terminology that was used was 
tierments, meaning subhumans, animal people. Another term that was used was life unworthy of life. Now, I say the depiction of black people in empire, the depiction of black people in magazines like I'm talking about, this hip-hop magazine that I just bought today, and scandal. See, black people, if they don't have any understanding of system of racism, they just think, oh, I'm a movie star. Oh, I'm on TV. Oh, I'm getting paid a lot of money. But it's what is what are those images saying to the majority of people who classify themselves as white? And I say when they look at Empire, they're thinking Planet of the Apes. When they look at Scandal, look at that black hole. See, we don't even have the awareness to know when people are laughing with us or when they're laughing at us. But as happened in Germany, by the time they over and over and over showed despicable images, then the minds of the German people were, it doesn't matter if we kill these people. Look at them. They don't even look like they're human beings. And I challenge you to pick up this hip-hop magazine and look at some of those images of black people, black men in particular, and then think about what if, if some so-called white police officer picks up the magazine or looks at Empire or looks at Scandal and the jokes that they make when it's just white police officers, so-called, sitting around in the squad room. Look at these animals. Are these supposed to be human beings? Look at this scum. Or the people on the grand jury. Or the people on the juries. Look at this. This doesn't matter if we kill them. Let's get all of this out of the urban centers. They don't need schools. They don't need jobs. See, so we end up... I was driving down a major street in Washington, D.C. today... And it might have been about 15 young black male teenagers. And they were riding their bicycles, weaving in and out of moving traffic, where cars had to screech and stop to prevent hitting them. Insane behavior. But they had expensive bicycles. They had clean clothes. They looked like middle-class black male children. Behavior off the charts. You see now, the question is, is what are they looking at? What are they listening to that could be productive of this kind of insane behavior? Insane behavior. Are their parents aware 
of them engaging in this insane behavior. But what does it say to the person who has a gun and they just had a discussion in the squad room, let's see who can kill one of them today because you know we're going to get away with it. Just look at them. Let's turn on scandal and look at it. Let's turn on empire and look at it. I asked a group of 100 black people. I said, if you were a big business person, you had a big corporate firm, what image, what character on scandal or empire would you hire? Nobody could think of an, not a single character that they would hire for productive activity. See, so we are, we are being played like a well-tuned orchestra. And to the extent that we do not understand white supremacy racism, and that's what Neely Fuller says, if you do not understand white supremacy racism, what it is and exactly how it works, everything else that you think you understand will only confuse you. <coughs> well, I just want to say thank you, my Shiro, and thank you for helping me to understand racism, white supremacy, what it is, and how it works. Once well, thank again, you. Once again, you are my Wonder Woman. Thank you, Dr. Wilson. Thank no you. Uh, caller at zero seven four seven zero seven four seven. Did you have a question for Dr. Welsing? Good afternoon, Gus. This is Mr. Hill. How are you doing today? Right poorly. Good afternoon, Dr. Welsing. Uh, I've been Good a fan afternoon. since 1988 when I first saw you on uh, We the People on Channel 32. Okay. Mm -hmm. Quick question. Um, in your lecture's uh, career, have uh, any white scholars uh, in this particular uh, decade has came to you and asked you to be on a television show? Because I remember growing up, I was there when you was on Donahue. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, no. Well, that's not altogether true. I was... Um... <clears throat> Remember uh, President Ronald Reagan, his son, when he had the television program? Yes, I remember. Yeah. Okay. I was invited twice to come to California and be on programs that he had. One program uh, was, I think they both were uh, dealing with aspects of racism. And one of them, there was an entire panel of people, might have been 15 people. And I happened to be seated next to a white gentleman whose name is Tom Metzger, who is one of the uh, outspoken white supremacists. Yes, and, I remember. Uh, during a commercial break, I said to him, I was sitting right next to him, I said, Mr. Metzger, tell me something. He's very polite. I said, what percentage 
of people who classify themselves as white are fearful of white genetic annihilation. And he said, Dr. Wilson, nearly all of them, but they are afraid or ashamed to admit it. And I said, well, that's, uh, that's what I thought. But his statement was, nearly all of them are afraid or ashamed to admit it. So I, I give credit to Ronald Reagan's son and uh, Phil Donahue, um, you know, because I had, I had seen Mr. Donahue. He had uh, some people talking about racism. That would have been in the 80s. Yes, and, I remember that show because he was in D.C. And I wrote to him. I said, Mr. Donahue, you should have me come on your show because I had thought that the discussions were well-intended, but they were not adequate. And I said, uh, you know, you should have me come on your show and just the two of us so you don't have a panel of people because very often if you have a panel of people, then one black person starts contradicting another black person. So I didn't want that kind of situation. I call that a monkey show. So it's like, you know, the person who classifies himself as white or any other interviewer. And so you interview person A on another occasion, you interview person B, and so, you know, you may be getting different perspectives. But Mr. Donahue uh, said, fine, come on the show. And so we talked about racism. I thought that that was, I thought it was constructive in that, you know, whether anybody agreed with me or not. But it was a statement because I'm the only psychiatrist in the United States. I'm the only psychiatrist in the world who's been writing about racism and white supremacy for the past 40 years. So you would think, not that I need to be on TV. <laughs> I don't need that. But if racism is under discussion, you don't go and get an entertainer to talk about it. You go and get somebody who has been writing about it and writing in some depth about it. But if you don't want racism, white supremacy understood, then you don't bring in such a person. Uh, Gus, may I ask one more question? I reckon. Okay, thanks. Uh, recently, I was, uh, not recently, recently Gus had a doctor on the show, and she said something that was very interesting. Uh, I forgot the uh, doctor's name, and she was talking about immunization and all that. And she was saying that the I asked the question uh, about you know does racism, white supremacy, affect black people's health? And she really couldn't give me a definitive answer on that. Well, she and I said, well, what about the deaths of black men? She says, well, those are smoke screens and things to not deal with the real problems in health. And I wanted to get your uh, opinion on that. And I, I'm assuming this woman was in a tragic arrangement. If I'm, if, if I'm, am I correct, Gus? Uh, uh, I don't have any knowledge that that's accurate. Um, well, I, I mean, the reason why I said that, I saw some of her uh, stuff on on the on uh, YouTube and some of her stuff. She does have a white husband, so 
I was just, you know, wondering about that. But she never gave a definitive answer on how uh, racism, white supremacy affected uh, black people in the health disparities. And she kept saying it's all about all people and all those things. And I wanted to ask you, uh, do you think that type of talk is dangerous? See, I'm missing some of the words. I'm sorry. Maybe uh, Mr. Jefferson, you could uh, repeat that for me, the question. What I'm saying is that some of the things you were saying about uh, about racism, white supremacy, is being a smoke screen and not dealing with the real issues. She said that the health is, health uh, health of killing more people uh, than racism. Now, what is killing more people? Uh, the health industry is killing more people than the racism, white supremacy is put together. And I thought that was very interesting coming from a, a, a person who was in a a tragic arrangement with a white person. So I wanted to have your uh, your opinion on that. Well, now, when they said, in, in other words, racism, white supremacy as a total system construct encompasses everything that is going on within that system. Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? That means all of the industry, all of the um, patterns of health care, all of that is within the framework of the system. And so I'm not sure when a, a person would say the health industry now, there are a lot of things that are occurring in the health industry, inclusive of what kind of health care facilities are available to black people, how many black uh, physicians are being trained to help uh, their communities, uh, the number of black persons being trained in medicine is steadily decreasing and not increasing. So there are many things that are happening to the extent that black people uh, don't have employment, uh, that, and they can't go and buy fresh foods as opposed to the fast foods that might be in their neighborhoods. All of that impacts health. Just the 24-7 stress. See, racism, white supremacy is 24-7 stress on black people. Everything they have to deal with, including looking at the TV and seeing another black man chased and shot. So that the mother of the recent person said she couldn't look at it. So if we wonder... What's going to be the impact on this older black woman, the fact that her son was shot and the image of it happening was so horrific, she couldn't bring herself to look at it. But she couldn't look at it, but she will have to endure the suffering of the fact that he's dead and gone and the grandchildren who he's the father of will have to endure in the whole impact of the fa on the family and their health. What happens to her blood pressure? God forbid that she should have a stroke or a heart attack behind that. 
or if she does get sick, that she not have available to her the highest levels of medical care. So I'm not uh, quite sure what she, what the person that is, what they had in mind. But as I said, racism, white supremacy is 24-7 stress. What's the stress on black males just driving around in their car wondering what will happen to them? Will they get home alive or dead? Even though they may do a whole lot of loud laughing and talking as though they don't have a care in the world. How many black men have it on their mind? I mean, I've had lawyers come to my office as patients and talk about how often they're stopped just because they have a clean new car. Or lawyers working in the court and seeing black males being railroaded and given sentences that whites are not given, that they can't do anything about as lawyers in the court. So people, people are being stressed and the system of medicine and health care within the framework of the system of racism. Yes, it has its problems related to racism, white supremacy. Even in terms of having to deal with biological warfare questions. Is Ebola biological warfare? Is HIV AIDS biological warfare? They make biological warfare weapons. They have books about biological warfare manufacturers. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Gus. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you, Gus, for letting me answer my questions. And if you can, you may want to do a little bit of research on the uh, doctor we had uh, two weeks ago. Okay. We'll uh, look into that as well. Thank you for the uh, information. Uh, the caller at 4950-4950. Did you have a question for Dr. Welsing? Yes, I do. Greetings, uh, Gus, and greetings, Dr. Welsing, and all the listeners and callers. Um, I have uh, a question. Um, I can't go into too many details um, as of right now uh, publicly, but um, just recently I had a, a brother who was, um, in my opinion, lynched. Um, he was actually killed in a correctional facility, and um, they said that he committed suicide. And since then, um, I've been, like, extremely paranoid. I've been sleeping with my firearm. Um, I booby trapped my house because, like, I really don't feel comfortable at, at all. Um, I was wondering if you can give me any advice to, to like, um, not be so nervous or not just be, like, so cautious of everything that happened, um, everything that, that's like going on on a day-to-day -day basis, um, basically. Um, I, I can go into more details um, after, I believe, uh, Tuesday. My family, they actually went to um, speak with uh, newscasters, 
And in, in my opinion, I'm not sure if they really want to help. They just told, like, from, from what I got, they said to not go into um, any details or don't do any interviews until after they hear their story. So in my opinion, I think that their story is more important than having someone um, get some type of um, help mentally on how to deal with this situation. Laval, would you please repeat the last part of that question? Um, well, the, the, um, basically, um, I, I want to know, like, if you can give me any advice that, uh, basically, um, not have me so nervous of, of everything that's, like, of day-to-day, um, activities. Like, everywhere I go, I'm, I'm cautious. I keep my firearm. Um, when I go to sleep, I have my firearm in the, in the bed with me because I'm, I'm so nervous. Like, in my opinion, since I've been listening to this show, I know that, um, black people have been a primary target. And, um, it, I can't go into too many details as of right now because, like I said, um, my family has been told to, um, not do any interviews until they hear their story. Um, but again, I feel like their story is just, um, it, it's just more about ratings with them versus the, the family actually getting the help that they actually need at, at a time like this. Was that clear, Dr. Welsing, or? Well, uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're talking about high levels of anxiety that you are experiencing. Is that true? Yes, from the result of, of my brother's uh, death. Have you have you talked with people in your family about these levels of anxiety that you're experiencing? Uh, no, ma'am. Actually, I um I've actually spoken with my little brother, um, and he's he's having the same effects. Like he said, he feel like every every time he leave out the house. Like he um he does security in a different state, um so he's he said he feel exactly the same way, like he he's just nervous everywhere he goes, and the the, I guess the thing is it's like um with so much going on even with the 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 um black male that just got gunned down, it, it's like you don't know when you're next, so that that's kind of how I feel like I don't know when I'm next or if I'm the next target. So I'm I'm just always, like, nervous. Well, you know, I, I certainly can sympathize. I think that what people have seen on the television uh, does make people have concerns and uh, have a sense of fear and worry. But I would say this. That do you have a primary care physician or somebody that you could talk to? Um, I I do, but um, I've been trying to change um for a long time. Every like my my primary uh, care um she she's actually a, a white female, so that, okay. That do you a, have do you thing. have a, a black minister or a church or does your family have a church that they attend? Uh, they they do. Um, I'm actually uh, not really too much into religion. 
Um, however, I I did uh, get a number of um, of a, a West African therapist. He's in a different uh, state. I was uh, looking to go and see him, but the only thing is, I was thinking if I was to go and see him and express my concerns, especially about racism, that that would go on to my medical file, and then that would um, prevent me from updating any um, any license that I might have to do with my firearm in the future. So I, w- I was trying to like kind of stay away from that because I, I didn't want that to go on file. See, I'm just trying to think of who you can speak to because there is such a thing as having a level of awareness and anxiety and sometimes there is extreme anxiety that is beyond what might be warranted in the situation. And so I'm just trying to think of who you might go to and who you might talk to where you could talk about what it is that you are feeling and what it is that you are thinking. And so that someone can make a determination. Is your anxiety over the top and is something else going on with you that it would be helpful for you to understand. Okay, I understand, I understand what, what you're saying. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, again, I'm still a little bit nervous about speaking to um, the, the therapist because, like I said, I'm fearful of anything going on my medical record. And I... I I'm kind of cautious because I know um, just from listening to the show that everyone don't understand racism the way that um, a lot of you guys um, interpret it, and they might look at it in a, in a different form and I understand might what present you're it in a different way or on paper, and then it'll have me looking, you know what I mean? And I, I was a little bit nervous about that. No, I I understand what you are thinking. Some time ago, a number of years ago, I gave a talk at a mental health facility, and uh, there were black and white people present, and I talked about racism, white supremacy, and a white psychiatrist said, you're paranoid. And so I didn't get upset. Uh, a black person spoke up and said, Dr. Welsing, this doctor said that you were paranoid and you didn't get upset. And I said, well, really, I interpreted his remark as a compliment, saying that I understood racism, white supremacy. Uh, Do you see that the white population in large measure is in denial about racism, white supremacy. Now, racism, white supremacy is the dominant reality that exists in this society, aren't really on the planet. It's like a great big white elephant being in the room under the rug, and everybody wants to dance around the edge and pretend that the elephant is not there under the rug. 
And so as they pretend, if somebody says, I think there's an elephant under the rug, and then somebody says, no, that's your imagination, you're paranoid. Do you see? So there, there is a problem for large numbers of black people who would like to talk about their experiences being victimized in a system of racism, white supremacy. But many psychiatrists who classify themselves as white don't want to talk about that reality. It would be like in Nazi Germany if a Semite of the Jewish religion wanted to talk about their anxiety uh, based on what was happening and what the kinds of things that were being said about Jewish people. And if the person attempted to go to a German psychiatrist and the German psychiatrist was not going to admit that anti-Semitism was controlling the society, then the person would really feel uncomfortable if that was the only psychiatrist in town going to that particular psychiatrist. So we do have that problem, I can understand. But I would also say that there are many things that can be contributing factors to high levels of anxiety. And if you are experiencing very high levels of anxiety, I would hope that you would be able to find someone that you can sit down and talk to. Do, do you see? I mean, are there any black physicians where you live? Um, no, ma'am. Where do you live? I live in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I actually moved from um, Irvington, New Jersey um, about eight, nine years ago. Okay, do they have any black psychiatrists in Pittsburgh or black psychiatrists uh, or physicians in Philadelphia? Uh, possibly. I haven't uh, looked into that. Do, do you see what I would say? You know, like if you could talk to, if they're close friends or family members or uh, ministers or, you know, social workers or whatever, if you could, uh, you know, if you are, are really being uh, made uncomfortable about the level of anxiety that you uh, try to find someone that you can talk to. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. I really appreciate it. You're quite welcome. Sure, um, listeners, appreciate the update, sir. If you want to chime in to kind of share what's what's happening with that situation. I know we've had other uh, listeners who have had black family members uh, who have somehow ended up dying under strange circumstances uh, in greater confinement. So definitely, if you want to keep us updated. Uh, the caller, retired firefighter in Florida. Did you have a question for Dr. Welsing? Your line should be open, sir. Yes, sir. Greetings, uh, Gus and Dr. Welsing and the other uh, callers. Greetings. Uh, mm-hmm. I was uh, born in, 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 and spent most of my life in uh, the South Florida area, born in 1957. As I think you know, Dr. Wells, being the president of the states, uh, has recently been uh, 
uh, conversing with uh, the uh, Cuban government, uh, negotiating uh, to set up a, a, a more positive uh, uh, relationship with that uh, island nation. Uh, the question is, what is your take on it as far as the many non-white black people who reside on that island and what uh, actions or reactions do you think uh, that the president would get um, in this part of the world by the many uh, quote-unquote Cuban exiles that's in the South Florida area? You're asking me what kind of reaction do I think the president will get from the population in South Florida? No, no. Of white the, Cubans? The, or? The, the, the first part of the question was what, uh, how, how do you think it would affect the many non-white black people who reside on the island of Cuba? And what do you think the actions and or reactions would be of the uh, Cuban exile community that resides in the South Florida area? Well, uh, that's a little bit difficult for me to answer that second part of the reaction on the part of the Cubans that are in South Florida. One of the things that I hope will come out of uh, more awareness about Cuba is I understand that a majority of the population of Cuba are black people. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> but yes, ma every picture that I see of the Cuban population, I don't see any people that would be immediately identified as black. That is correct. And so it's as though the black population, I think what is important for people to hear that, uh, to be aware that communism and socialism do not uh, prevent the practice of racism and white supremacy. And I right. think that this is a major area for discussion that, uh, you know, needs to be raised, I don't think that uh, President Obama necessarily is going to raise it, but I think in the course of the discussion uh, about uh, Cuba is where do you hide your black population where television cameras are around? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that uh, if indeed the majority population is black, then should we not see uh, this segment of the population? But if they want to open up um, Cuba for tourism, uh, it may be that they don't want to emphasize that so many of the Cubans are black or what is the economic status of the Cubans that are black or what about their positions in the government or what about their positions in the universities, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't really have a, a comment uh, about what the Cubans in uh, South Florida 
will think. I don't know whether they are feeling that uh, they had property confiscated uh, during the revolution and uh, they want their property back. I just that's just not uh, an area that I can comment on. I don't know. Do you have thoughts about that? Well, m many, many of the, as I mentioned, I was born in 1957, and, and all through my life, I've been other places, but I reside here. All through my life, I, I, the, I have been around the, the, uh, the, the questions that I, that I'm asking you, and, and most. You have been around. I didn't hear that. I've, I've been around the, uh, the questions that I've been asking that I've asked you. Uh, a lot of the. Cuban exiles are at least non-black. I don't know on the percentage of them being white, but most of those individuals that are in the South Florida area were the upon the power element that existed before the the Castro uh, revolution, the, 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 mm -hmm. the communist revolution, and they came right here to South Florida and uh, set up uh, uh, camp. And it appears that most of these people are white people. I could mm -hmm. be wrong. Uh, and uh, so I haven't heard it yet, uh, but I do expect a reaction and a very negative reaction as these talks keep going, keep going on. Uh, for instance, as you recall back years ago when Nelson Mandela was first released out of prison. Uh, he made a a comment, I believe, in New York City, uh, when he was questioned about uh, who he would have as allies, and uh, it got down here to South Florida. Of course, he was supposed to have made an appearance down here to South Florida to the black community, and the Cuban exile community. Uh, 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 community disallowed that to happen. Uh, he did come to South Florida, but he did not come to the area where black people uh, reside at uh, because of the uh, Cuban exile community uh, did not allow that to take place. Uh, so uh, every time the subject matter is brought up about any type of negotiations with the island of Cuba and it's disfavorable to the Cuban exile uh, uh, area, uh, uh, that it's, it's an, always a negative reaction. So I, I just anticipate uh, as a non-white black male as the president of the states, as you notice I don't say United States, but the states, uh, uh, but that the president, being the president is a black male, that it probably would be even more of a, uh, a uh, uh, big pushback, I'm thinking. Uh, as the as it gets more and more attention, is what I'm saying. Well, you see, if a population classifies itself as white uh, in a system of racism, white supremacy, their behavior, by and large, is going to fall in line with the behavior of the population that classifies itself as white as a whole. And the whole question of color, the whole question of color is a major of skin color and how people classify themselves. 
uh, is a major problem throughout Central and South America. Right, right. Do, do you see where, uh, or even go, go to Brazil, they have uh, racism, white supremacy operative uh, all over South America. In Brazil, where you have a very large black population, uh, people don't call themselves black or they don't like to talk about color. And they are in denial about the role that color plays, but color plays a dominant role. And all of this is something that people need to lay out on the table, lay out on the table with understanding, because all of these places go by the color code. I call the color code for white genetic survival. And that is, if you're black, get back, brown, stick around, yellow, mellow, white, right. Now, people learn that, and people of color all over the world practice that color scale after they have been in contact with racism, white supremacy. And that needs to be put on top of the table for discussion, not for people to... Uh, spend a lot of time being angry with each other about, but lay it on the top of the table as a factor of reality. Do uh, you see, because the more color you have, the greater your genetic potential to cause white genetic annihilation, and that's why that kind of color code exists, and that's why uh, people are taught uh, consideration of what's beautiful and what's handsome based upon the color code for white genetic survival, with white being at the top and the lesser colors until you get to most color. And that's uh, looked upon and put at the bottom uh, of the barrel, so to speak. But you see, if white people want to dress up and look sophisticated, they don't put on white. They put on black. Right. Right. Thank you. Right Thank you. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that uh, caller in uh, Florida. Uh, we had just played a uh, report uh, from NPR, I guess, for folks who uh, tune into the Saturday broadcast. We try to catch up on news and the report they had. It was talking about Cuba and racism specifically in Cuba. Uh, and they wrote uh, one of the biggest mistakes that our government made was to declare that there was no more racism in Cuba. That was a big mistake. And then they just silenced the problem, the issue in the name of national unity. But racism has remained. Statistics back that up. Up to date numbers are hard to come by. But Esteban Morales Dominguez, a Cuban economist and political scientist, published a book on the topic in 2007. He found that the revolutionary promise of an equal society was fraying. Blacks were unemployed at double the rates of whites. 85% of those in jail were darker-skinned Cubans, and most of those who held jobs as scientists or technicians were white. Sounds like they could be talking about here. It was always like this. At the height of Sylvia Largesse, the revolution did not equalize society, according to research quoted by uh, Espacio Laciel, a magazine published by the Cuban, Cuban Catholic Church in the late 1980s. The Janai coefficient of income inequality was 0.24 on the island. 
zero uh, percent represents complete equality and one represents complete inequality. In recent years, according to the magazine, that number has risen to 0.5, similar to the average for the rest of Latin America. It goes on, but they go into uh, extensive detail about how poorly black people are treated uh, in Cuba. Just to further back that up, this is the dominant problem on the planet, bar none. Uh, let's see. The person who dialed in uh, last four digits 0673 0673 did you have a question for Dr. Wellson your line should be open yes uh, peace uh, greetings uh, Gus and to uh, our great scholar Dr. Wilson good evening good evening uh, Dr. Wilson uh, through the program I noticed there was a terminology you was using um, as you was using the word classification or classified white folks. And what I want to ask is <clears throat> get your opinion on um, there's some teachings. I think uh, the Morris brothers, uh, I, maybe for a lack of not understanding what, what the actual group is, but there's some teachings out that um, recommend uh, that uh, brothers change our status from black to white status, and the teacher. Wait, wait, please that, repeat that. Please repeat that. Do what okay. That that we change our status um, from black to white, and saying that white is a status. It has nothing to do with uh, a color. And so, like, legally, um, there are some teachings to say legally go out and, and, and make efforts to change your status to white. And um, they even go on to say, um, some even call themselves a free white person. Um, some would even uh, do little chants or ingredients, say, you know, white power. But they're saying that um, white is a status. It has nothing to do with color. And I noticed you was using the terminology um, early in the program. You would say a uh, classified white person or white or white whites. I was just wondering, one, I guess, have you heard of this, this kind of doctrination? Um, and if so, what's your opinion of it? And maybe if you could give a little clarity on what do you mean when you say classified white person? I say, uh, I use the terminology, people who classify themselves as white. People who classify themselves as white. Now, there's a Chinese proverb that says the beginning of wisdom is to call things by their correct name. Uh, and a problem is not solved by saying, um, you know, like some people will say, I'm going to play chess, and because the game of chess is play with white moving first, I'm going to uh, be at the chessboard and have black move first. That doesn't, I mean, still the game of chess is what it is, and as it's played all over the world, uh, 
the right side of the chessboard moves first. And so if one is going to play competitive chess, then uh, they will have to, you know, comply with the rules. And it's no different than in football or basketball where the home team wears white and the other team wears colored jerseys to the extent that that's carried out. And so I say that the problem of racism, white supremacy, is a problem that exists. It doesn't go away if black people say, I'm really not black, I'm white. Uh, or if uh, somebody says there's such a thing as female oppression, so the reason the, what the females decide to do is to call themselves males, does that solve the problem, as opposed to analyzing in depth why might females be oppressed if that's the reality. So um, I don't really know in depth about uh, people who are thinking that by changing words, they can change the reality. You see, that would be like the prisoner. Some people who might be in prison after, you know, they've been there long enough and they uh, lose their sanity, they might sit in their cells and tell, say, I'm really the warden. And all these people that are outside my cell with the keys, those are my prisoners. That doesn't change the reality of who actually is in prison and who is the prisoner. So when I say people who classify themselves as white, uh, people who classify themselves as white for the last 500 years plus have set up a reality that is based on skin color or the absence thereof. And they call the condition of the absence of skin color white. And they call the people who have color in their skins non-white. And they have the muscle, so to speak. They have put themselves in a situation of having power over the people who classify themselves as non-white. And non-white people at this juncture in time do not have the power that the people who classify themselves as white have. And they don't need to pretend that that's the case. See, sometimes children in a household uh, will try to pretend that they really are in charge. <laughs> that doesn't make it so. Right. You see, it doesn't make it so even when the parents don't know what to do as parents. And so the children are effectively running the household. But if the legal situation, uh, apparatus finds out that their children doing whatever it is that they want to do, and the parents are not doing their job and responsibility and taking care of and protecting the lives of the children, then the parents can be charged with negligence. So again, you know, some black people have said, I'm not, I'm not black, I'm a moor. Mm -hmm. 
Right, right. And the people who classify themselves as white, the person who says, I'm a moor, and they get in their car and they drive on the highway and some lights flash, start flashing behind them. And a white officer appears at the window and says, nigger, give me your driver's license. And the person starts saying, I'm not a nigger, I'm a moor. And the officer might say, I don't care what kind of nigger you are. Get out of the car and get on the ground. Right. So changing what one calls oneself um, doesn't change the reality of racism, white supremacy. What changes the reality of racism, white supremacy, is recognizing exactly and specifically what it is and understanding exactly and specifically how it works. It's just like if you want to win a football game, the way to go about it is to first and foremost understand what the game is all about. Understand how the different positions are played. Understand what defense offense is all about in the game of football. A person doesn't win at football by deciding, I'm going to call the football uh, a bumblebee. Because I think by calling it a bumblebee, because it flies through the air, that that's going to help me win the game of football. Am I making myself clear? Uh, yes, ma'am. I I, uh, I don't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, been somewhat confusing to me because, uh, like the incidents with uh, Walter Scott, I was thinking to myself, like, what would have been, what difference would have would have made if his driver's license, or his when or when when the officer may have looked him up and. And his race would have been white, or he had a Morris card that said he he had sovereignty. I wonder what you know, what in what way would that could have helped? Because the I guess some of the uh, the brothers, I guess we're all trying to find ways to counter uh, counter this oppression over here. And I suppose uh, some of the angle of that teaching is is that. If we can claim our sovereignty and claim our right, our legal, rightful legal status, that perhaps um, in their in their jurisdictions, right, we can uh, uh, claim sovereignty in our own status where we don't have to adhere to those jurisdictions. But it's a little confusing to me. So I was just you did help me out um, as it relates to um, status alone that. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you call yourself, you're still dealing with an oppressive system that's trying to oppress our people. Uh, so so uh, thank you for your, for your time, and thank you, Gus, for having, having her on.
Thank you. For sure. Uh, Just for the record, uh, after Hurricane Katrina and the breach of the levees in New Orleans, uh, there were black people who didn't have their like social security cards, birth certificates, all that. They had to get a lot of that information anew. And uh, some of them did make an effort to change their racial classification to white. And it went to the court and a white judge decided that they could not do this. But there this was reported online that this happened. So at the I think Mr. Fuller talks about that all the time as well, that at the end of the day, racist man, racist woman, they decide the classifications in terms of who gets accepted as white. So that's definitely one to keep in mind as well uh, in terms of uh, thinking we can just switch a and that'll solve the problem. Uh, the caller at uh, nine four five one. Nine four five one. Did you have a question for Doctor Welsing? Is this uh, New- Thomas in New York? Hey, how are you guys? How are you, Doctor Welsing? I'm fine. How are you? Mm-hmm. I'm doing good. Good to hear from you again. Um, I missed you in New York. I was very angry. Um, I got there a little. I guess I got there early, but it was too late. to ran out of space. They turned me away. I was like, oh, um, I had a few questions for you. Um, um, well, um, just. Your theory on um on race is just so so eloquently written and I used to say so it's excellent and it's the most logical theory I've ever heard on it. And anytime another black person asks me, you know, why, why do I think white people are racist or ask my thoughts on it, I always, you know, in my own way give them, you know, your theory and um they always look very fascinated, like, Wow, you know, I never thought of it that way. Um, my question to you is when you first came up with this theory how did other blacks respond to you? Well, I think the response was um, you know that it was a little bit surprising or shocking to black people. Some black people. But um you know, I, I still have people um, occasionally come up to me and say, um, Dr. Welsing, I first heard you 20 years ago, and I knew you were crazy. Now, 20 years later, I understand what you're talking about. I interestingly had a colleague in psychiatry say that to me in 2013 uh, when I gave a paper at the medical convention, because I've always given papers on racism, white supremacy. And he said, um, you know, a learned black psychiatrist, he said, Francis, you have given a paper every year for almost 40 years, and I'm finally understanding what you're talking about. And I was denied tenure at Howard University College of Medicine because the dean said uh, your paper uh, on racism, the Crest Theory of Color for Confrontation, doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to say that white people are envious of black people because of their color. Now, that was a, a tragic statement. Because I said, uh, you know, I have a lot of communications from white people who said, you're right, I always wish that I had color. 
And so different kinds of responses, I would say that uh, the major worry and consideration, because we are victims in a system of racism, white supremacy, black people do a lot of worrying, and perhaps rightly so. What do white people think? And if white people are unhappy, then uh, black people's primary duty is to see that white people remain happy because black people are subject to white people. White people control whether black people can have jobs or whether black people can get loans or whether black people can stay in business if they have a business. All of the civil rights organizations are dependent upon what white people think because if those organizations need money to have conventions, that money comes primarily from people who classify themselves as white. So reactions don't necessarily have to do with whether something is correct because I didn't really make up, I didn't make up the fact that um, white skin is a genetic recessive state. This is established in the field of genetics. Or that black is a genetically dominant. This is not Francis Welsing's made-up science. This is scientific information coming from people who classify themselves as white. What I did was interpret it in a different way than the white people had looked upon it themselves in the past. You see, well, the fact that whites are a tiny minority on the planet, Francis Wilson didn't make up those demographics. You see, or that white can be genetically annihilated. This is, that's what President Obama represents in his person. His father was a black man from Kenya. His mother was white. And you mix a dominant plus a recessive, and you get a dominant. This is not Frances Welsing's genetics, but Frances Welsing can give her interpretation of what it means. So, um, sometimes black people have to wait and see, well, how do white people react? Like many times I've given lectures and, you know, you give a lecture at a college or a university and so you have some black students there and many whites and many white faculty people and I said, when I leave, when you go to class the next day, a white professor might say to you, what do you think about what that Dr. Francis Welsing said at the uh program the other day. And so I tell the student, you can feel free to say, I don't know, she may be crazy. Because if you say I agree with her, you might be put in the position of failing the class. It's almost like when Einstein was in Austria and Germany, they called what Einstein had to say Jewish science. 
meaning not legitimate science. And I had another question for you. Um, I, I, I'm sure you, you spoke on it. Um, the guy who got shot in the back eight times made the news, um, the videotape, everyone saw it. Um, but after that, in two incidents where it's a, a white man being beat up by the police, um, with some police on horses appeared to be in uh, California somewhere, and there's another video where it's a white guy um, White people are fighting, and the cops are trying to break it out. And I believe they they shot someone in that instance too. I believe a cop was also shot there. But um, do you think they're trying to make it look like oh, this is just not a black problem? Do you think that's the, what they're trying to yes. do? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's what I think they're trying to do too. That's exactly. That that was that was precisely my thought. See, but even if they show a number of instances where a person who's classified as white is being abused by the police, the incidents, the number of cases in which that takes place is minuscule compared to what the black experience is. You see, I mean, they've lynched white people in the history of the United States, but that doesn't compare with the frequency of lynching and castration done to black people. So those are the exceptions that prove the rule. Thank you very much for um, your time, and that's all my questions, Doug. Thank you. Thank you. Caller at 8562. 8562. Did you have a question? Yes. Uh, greetings. Dr. Wilson, can, can I be heard? Yes, I can hear you. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, got a question. Uh, recently I've been watching the news and everything, and uh, I just want from a psychology mentality perspective, what is the fascination with white women in the non-white child in a romantic version situation. Because, you know, based on this uh, latest, this, the teachers, the teachers are coming out. They, they having situations with the students and everything. And, uh, you know, some of them are white, but there's a fascination there. With the with the dynamic of the non-white child, like putting that on TV, and like, ten years later their romantic story, like that's normal or something. Like, what is the fascination there? I just couldn't couldn't grasp the correlation on that. Well, uh, I would say that a couple of ideas come to mind. One is, you know, there was a period of time where we would see uh, white female movie stars and each one was walking around with a little dog, with a little poodle, some kind of little dog. And so after they got tired of that, then, you know, the the, uh, fashion is to 
adopt a black child. Well, white females say their ideal mate is tall, dark, and handsome. And so at one level, conscious and or subconscious, people who lack the ability to produce color have the fantasy of liking, you know, wanting to have a product of color or wanting to walk around with the latest style having a child of color. But I say the tragedy is is that there is really no consideration for that black child because if there is admitting in to what racism white supremacy is and what that black child is going to experience in a predominantly white world is abuse and rejection. And if the parents, if the white parents were uh, really in consideration of the welfare of the black child, if anything, they would give the black family the money and let them raise the black child as opposed to dangling a little black child on their arm and that's supposed to look cute or supposed to look like they're liberal. But at the same time, white children are not permitted to be adopted by black people. And so the question is, well, why would white people object to black people adopting a white child? Or whereas two white males can adopt a black female child, but two black males would not be allowed to adopt a white child. And so for black people to raise the question, well, if it's okay for two white males to adopt a black female child, or a black male child for that matter. But you would not allow a white child to be adopted by two black males or a black male and a black female. Why? What's the problem? And if they were truthful, the answer would, well, you could not give the white child the necessary experience of being white. Well, the reverse is true. Two white people cannot give the black child the experience of being black or prepare the black child for dealing with a system based on racism. And to the extent that the vast majority of people who classify themselves as white are in denial about racism, are in denial about their 24-7 behavior, then the black child in that environment is at a major and serious disadvantage, at a psychological disadvantage, an emotional disadvantage. But that's, you know, let's pretend we're not racist. Let's pretend that this is post-racial. It's all about let's pretend as opposed to 
let's look at racism, white supremacy, which is a 500-plus year reality. Let's have the courage as black people and as white people to look at this reality. Because if we don't look at reality, we are headed for a catastrophe. Yeah, I can I can agree with that because uh, the people that I saw on uh, 2020 the other day with the student and everything, that boy is 31 years old. He works at Lowe's, and he seemed like to me he's just been kept in a in a coward position. In other words, he can't grow quote unquote grow up. The boy worked at Lowe's, got two children, he didn't finish high school. Now, how he didn't finish high school and you call yourself a teacher? It's just, and the lady is 53 now. So it's like, I, I don't know, but you did shed some, some other light on it. I just wanted to know, you know, the psychology behind it. Just, I didn't understand as I was looking at that on, uh, 2020 the other day. What did they call the program? It's 2020. It was with Barbara Walters, this situation where the boy, uh, this boy was from Fiji, Tonga, he's Samoan. That's what he is. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. he's Samoan. And so the boy married, he, he had sex with the woman that had four other children already that she was married. And the boy had sex with the lady. The teacher was the teacher had sex with the child. Yes, with the child. And they put that on T V like it was just normal. Now and everybody was supposed to be embracing their relationship. And the boy was thirteen when they had sex. And he was fifteen when she had a child by him. And then the other child that she had was born behind bars. It was just, it, it's, I just. No, she was engaging, yes, in, in criminal activity. Right, and they put this on TV like it's, it's supposed to be, you know what I'm saying, I love Lucy or something. And she got her hair flipped like she's, uh, uh, like we're supposed to embrace this relationship somehow. I don't know. See, that again is sickness. Imagine if it was in the reverse. Right. Uh, Imagine if it was a black adult male and a white 13-year-old teenager. See, he would be fortunate if he was alive enough to stand trial. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. But if it's the reverse in a system of racism, white supremacy, then it's given validation. And basically saying, you can do anything with a black person. You can do anything with a black child. Their life is just expendable and, and no... Okay. They talking about he had a troubled family life and all this type of stuff. But 
it was the it was his mother when that lady went to prison. It was his mother that took those children. Now how he have a troubled family like they left. In other words, they left him out and they glorified their white queen. They uh, they uplifted, in my opinion, they uplifted their white queen. They took an hour and just glorified this lady like she didn't do anything wrong. It was just, and she want her, uh, she wants her uh, sexual, you know, because you got a sex offender status once you come out of prison. This lady want her sexual offender uh, uh, status. Re- removed. I yes, see. the lady wanted removed. Oh Lord! And then she talking about uh, she talked mass and all this old type stuff. And I'm like, whoever let you teach anybody after that was I don't know what they were thinking about. No, well you are right to certainly be offended. I'm offended that that would happen. The uh, Mary Kay Letourneau uh, situation, that's the white woman's name, the the child rapist, that's her name, was very popular uh, case when it first happened right here in Seattle uh, a few years back. Uh, The caller at uh, 9298-9298, did you have a question? Hello, Gus and Dr. Francis, Chris Wesley. Um, Yes, I can hardly hear you. Uh Oh, I apologize. I'll speak up some. I was just saying hello to you and Gus. Um, yes, hello. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being on the program tonight. I have um, some questions about um, black male and female blame, blaming each other regarding... I didn't hear the word. Black male and black female what now? Blaming each other in regards to how racist white supremacy affects us. Um, okay. And I'm just trying to understand the mindset of it. Uh, with this, the latest victim being killed and shot down, uh, the mother was on Anderson Cooper. A clip was released of her singing hymns. And she's grieving, of course. Many people are saying that this type of reaction is what causes racism, white supremacy to continue and for whites not to be accountable for the death. And it almost went full circle from cop doing this injustice to black male to mother allows it and this is her fault. She doesn't care about her child. Um, I just find that interesting that as the conversations um, continue, a lot of times in the end black persons or non-white persons begin to blame themselves for the injustice that was done to them. And I'd like to have your perspective on why this is happening and how to stop it from occurring so that people can stay clearly focused from happening. Well, I I believe that black people need to have an understanding of racism, white supremacy as a total system structure, and they need to have a specific definition 
of what it is that they are talking about. In other words, to have an analysis and definition about what racism is and why it is pervasive. And I'm just going to read my definition. It's one paragraph. Uh, I say it's the only one paragraph comprehensive statement about racism, white supremacy. Racism, white supremacy is the local and global power system and dynamic structured and maintained by persons who classify themselves as white, whether consciously or subconsciously determined, which consists of patterns of perception, logic, symbol formation, thought, speech, action, and emotional response, as conducted simultaneously in all areas of people activity, economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war, for the ultimate purpose of white genetic survival and to prevent white genetic annihilation on planet Earth a planet upon which the vast and overwhelming majority of people are classified as non-white, meaning black, brown, red, and yellow, by white-skinned people, and all of the non-white people are genetically dominant in terms of skin coloration compared to the genetic recessive white-skinned people. In other words, this is what racism, white supremacy is. It is a power dynamic for white survival on planet Earth. And this is why we see the symptoms of that. I mean, this definition, the implication being that it is necessary for this system to be able to kill black males as the perceived threat to white genetic annihilation and to be able to do that with justification justifiable homicide. And so if black people are proceeding with this is what we are talking about, it is this system and its necessity that is causing all of the things that we refer to as discrimination, racism, from 500 years in the past up to the present including the enslavement, including what is called Jim Crow, including all of the things describing the relationship between white people and black people for the last 500 years. You see, so if black people gave themselves this platform to stand on, then they would not be in the position of having to move in a circle and ultimately blame themselves for the problem as people who classify themselves as white deny that they're doing anything to cause the problem in the first instance. And so again, if we're not proceeding with an analysis and a definition of what it is that we're talking about, then we will be moved around in a circle and we will be moved around in a circle of confusion, in our own confusion. Okay, that makes sense. So having some a clear definition and goals of what you would like as an outcome of maybe a conversation or an action to deal with racism, 
right white supremacy should be at the forefront. Exactly. If, okay, that makes um, that makes perfect sense. That this was something that I was noticing of how the conf- confusion in the circle continues of, well, maybe black people kind of cause this on themselves because. See, they might say black people are killing other black people. Black people are name-calling and calling each other niggers. Well, black people are doing these things because of the situations that they have been put in by the system of racism, white supremacy. In other words, if black uh, people, if black people, black males were employed at the same level that white males were employed so that they could support and take care of their families and play the role of husband and father, then we would not see young black males out of desperation, depression, and frustration out trying to kill each other because they feel that they don't have any consequence in the system of racism, white supremacy. They don't have any protection, and so they have to join gangs to have some sense of power because their fathers have been annihilated in one way or another by the system of racism, white supremacy. You see, but the system itself doesn't want anybody who can analyze the situation at that level. What they want to do, instead of focusing on cause, they want to focus on symptoms and then have programs, am I my brother's keeper or my brother's keeper, and put a Band-Aid on a cancer, as opposed to focusing on the cancer is causing the sore. Let us look at the cancer and let us eradicate, eradicate the cancer, which is a system of racism, white supremacy. May I ask one more question? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'd like to um, know your thoughts on what non-white persons, and particularly black families, single and non-single, should be thinking when it comes to child-rearing under racism, white supremacy. They already have children. As far as education, um, health, or anything else you'd like to elaborate on, uh, uh, Mr. Jefferson, can you repeat that last part? I'm having trouble hearing it. She said uh, your recommendations in terms of what uh, either single-parent households or if they have both parents present, uh, things that you would recommend in terms of what we should black families uh, should be focusing on, sharing with children, even approach to going about raising a family under these conditions, what would you recommend? Was that it, caller? Yes, that's very correct. Right on. Okay, I think that all black people need to begin to understand racism, white supremacy in depth because that is the power dynamic environment that we find ourselves in. Number two, that the system is not structured for the maximal development of the black genetic and constitutional potential, just like the system is not structured so that black males and black females can stabilize a marital relationship so that children can grow up in a mature, secure environment. But because the system is not structured to do that, because then you would produce 
highly functional people. The system doesn't want black people to be in a highly functional state because they are perceived as a threat to white genetic survival. But that is what black people have to be determined that they are going to do. And so I, if I could wave a magic wand, black people, and, you know, this is shocking to many people to hear, but I would say if I would wave this magic wand, black people would not have sex until they were married, and they would not be married until they were 30 and 35, and no more children, no closer together than three years apart, and for the first 30 years and 35 years for males, they would be in school, and they would be learning, and they would be learning skills so that they could function in a mature manner. But because of the dynamics within the system, we have large numbers of very young people, single, giving birth, and attempting to take care of children under the conditions of racism, white supremacy, and it's impossible for a very young person to take care of a child for 25 years and stand that child on its feet. And it's not possible for a female person alone to give a male child the confidence in being a male person. They could be a wonderful, caring parent, but they're a female and they cannot train a male how to be a male person. And so trying to set up conditions, even though the system of racism, white supremacy, is continuous, at least at this point, how are black people going to produce a product and have some control over what that product is going to do. Well, then that requires military discipline, like I have said. Put sex, no matter how magnificent sex might be, it needs to be brought under military, self-military control so that the end product is not someone who's going to end up failing in school and being put in jail because they don't have their behavior package together because the parents did not have the maturity, the knowledge, the wherewithal to give them security under the conditions of war, which is what racism, white supremacy is as it relates to black people. And so the system doesn't have anything, the system of white genetic survival doesn't have anything to gain by producing the maximal development of the black genetic and constitutional potential. The system has everything to lose if black people are highly developed. And so black people have to think through, work out, have the understanding and the level of self-respect that they are going to produce such conditions for themselves, sacrificing, uh, in other words, what I feel like doing is not what I do. I do what I need to do to change a system of injustice to a system of 
justice. And black people need to decide that they are going to produce immaculate behavior because they want to do so so as to defeat the unjust system of racism, white supremacy. But certainly, uh, you see, but all of the music and all of the uh, so-called entertainment that black people are exposed to is like make a joke of sex, treat sex any old way, call people bitches and hoes and gangsters and thugs and dogs and bow-wows, meaning uh, training people to demean and degrade themselves and most importantly to make a joke out of sex. And I say when people play with sex, the joke is on the offspring. You see, playing with sex and not being able to maximally care for the end product that is made. Well, this is exactly what the system needs so that it can make fun of the end product as an empire or make fun of the people that are in the prison system and then just do target practice on them. That's what the system is about, and black people have to begin to understand the system in such depth that they are then able to transform their behavior relative to the goals that they want to achieve, meaning replace racism, white supremacy with a system of justice. And justice meaning no one is mistreated, no one is allowed to be mistreated, and those who need the most help get the most help. Thank you very much for that clarification. Thank you. I'll mute my line. I want to nab your whole evening. There were a couple other folks who dialed in, but uh, if you have time to get them, that's fine. If you have other uh, things on your schedule, that's fine, too. Um, no, let's take two more questions. Okay. Uh, the person at 9769-9769, your line should be open for Dr. Welsing. Did you have a question? Let's see, 9769. Are you with us, sir, or ma'am? Hello? Yes, sir. Hi, Dr. Wilson. Hi, Gus. Greetings. Hi, how are you? Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm doing fine, thank you. Um, so, from um, your book, The ISIS Papers, um, you wrote, whenever there's a sense of increased vulnerability within the local or global white collective, there will, there will be an increase of the ever-present normal daily slaughter and murder of non-white males by those legally or illegally authorized to do so. So my question is, um, that increased vulnerability, do you see that manifesting itself um, in other ways besides murder? Well, um, I guess murder being the, uh, the most extreme form, and I think that uh, one of the things that, I think about when we speak of the system being, in other words, if the system is about white genetic survival and preventing white genetic annihilation, the system in its attempt to modify itself 
And so the system has modified from instead of uh, lynching and castrating a black male who might have looked at him female, white female, the system has modified itself. Um, we won't need to go into the pressures that might have led to the modification, but the system pretending that it has had civil rights struggles that have been won, and then out of those civil rights efforts, you see more an increasing number of black males with white females, an increasing number of white females who marry black males. And so that, on the surface, looks like, oh, this is opening up from the civil rights struggle at a deeper level where the system is really understood for what it is. It is a threat to white genetic survival. In other words, when you mix white plus black, you get an Obama. You don't get another white person. And so you get the disappearance of white. And so as the follow-through, we see increasing numbers of black males being shot down in the street. Now, they can give all kinds of explanation about what took place with the specific event. And when did the man get out of the car? And what did he do when he got out of the car? And what did the black man do when he approached the car? And did he do something or was he paid? All of that is the surface detail. What needed to happen was black males being killed by whatever necessary means or black males being put out of masculine commission by effeminization, effeminizing males, whether that takes place because fathers are moved, removed from the home or whether they're chemicals that will alter uh, male hormones and make someone become more female, no matter what the mechanism some mechanism if there's going to be white genetic survival on the planet. You see, and the planet means not only in this area of the world what's happening on the continent of Africa and 8,000 people dying from Ebola and tens of thousands dying from HIV, AIDS, et cetera, et cetera. And so if I could wave a magic wand... All, black, all music will stop. Black people have listened to enough music, don't need to listen to enough any more music, don't need to dance and sing. They just need to be quiet and be serious so that they can think and reflect about what is happening to them, what is happening around them, and what it is that they are going to do. See, black people, I say that black people, if they understood specific behaviors of self-respect, could begin to annihilate racism, white supremacy. See, racism, white supremacy needs people behaving like empire, behaving like Atlanta housewives, behaving like the images of people in this magazine, hip-hop where the most grotesque images I've ever seen in my life of black people. 
and this is what black people are programmed, what they're supposed to look like and how they are supposed to behave and how, how they're supposed to think. If black people said we're going to just, you know, and these are individual black people deciding, taking the behaviors that were first laid out by Neely Fuller, Jr. in his book on counter-racism, stop name-calling one another, stop gossiping about one another, stop squabbling with one another, stop cursing one another, stop snitching on one another for reasons of personal gain, stop being discourteous to one another, stop being disrespectful to one another, stop stealing from one another, stop robbing one another, stop fighting one another, and stop killing one another. If black people, just as individuals, decided that they were going to marshal and codify their behavior, just individuals deciding, not belonging to any club or paying any dues, individual black people thinking, I want to make my behavior an impeccable instrument that is going to have an impact on racism, white supremacy. Racism, white supremacy benefits when black people are fighting and killing each other, are being discourteous and disrespectful to one another. And so black people say, no, we're going to modify these behaviors. And I add to that list, stop using and selling drugs to one another. Stop black children from thinking that as children, they can be adequate mothers and fathers. Stop throwing down trash where black people live, work, and play. Stop making dirt and filth the norm. Stop believing in welfare, believe in prosperity. Stop pretending that racism, white supremacy does not exist. I'm going to repeat that. Stop pretending that racism, white supremacy, does not exist. Stop allowing racism, white supremacy, causing black, brown, red, and yellow people to be divided. And so the, the, those are behaviors that I say are reflective uh, first and foremost, countering racism, white supremacy. They reflect having black mental health and black self-respect. And so if black people were to understand racism, understand the importance of making their behavior, making each person in an instrument of impeccable behavior, just behavior reflective of self-respect. See, racism and white supremacy flourishes as long as black, brown, red, and yellow people do not respect themselves and do not respect one another. And so black people just concern ourselves with black people. What are we doing as black people? And, you know, black people talk about we need to have our own country. And we need that racism and white supremacy is not giving up its territory to black people. 
what black people can decide as individuals, their country is where their feet are planted. The country that they're going to take charge of is where their feet are planted, meaning where I stand is my country. And my country is going to be about me as a black person respecting myself and respecting other black people. That's my stand. That's where I stand. I have a knowledge and understanding of the system of racism and white supremacy. And where I stand is going to be counter-racist grounds. I'm not spending any time and energy hating white people. See, white people have asked me, Dr. Wilson, if you say that white people are a tiny minority and people of color, the vast majority of people on the planet, how is it that we as a minority, tiny minority of white people, control the majority of non-white people? And I say, well, number one, let's consider you could be smarter than everybody else. But I don't think that that's the case. I think that once you realize that you were a tiny minority on the planet, starting with Christopher Columbus circumnavigating and then all the explorers and discoverers who found out that the planet was filled with colored people, and after you discovered that white could be genetically annihilated, and then you determined that to prevent that from happening, you had to be in control of all of the colored people. And the colored people didn't have a problem of fearing that they could be genetically annihilated, so they didn't understand where you were coming from. And so to the extent that you can dominate the planet, and control how people think. Give them the image of God as your image. So they're all worshiping some white God. Then you control their behavior. And you have them hate themselves and to love you. And so you might be a tiny minority, but you have effectively, by controlling the thinking and the behavior of the non-white global majority, you have them hate themselves and love you. And you train them to fight and kill each other and to love you. And so then you become the power dominance on the planet. But that can change if the people of color begin to understand, like, oh, wow, we didn't understand before. So now we understand, and that just becomes a question of what do we do as individuals with our behavior. And if every, just even if you took every black person in this area of the world, and every black person decided to be the master of the country where their feet are planted. You see, and to control the thinking in the brain computer that sits atop their necks. So that they are a unit of counter racism, a unit of producing justice. And then if those units become connected, simply be connected because they're on the same 
wavelengths. There's an African proverb that says, when the spider webs unite, they can tie up a lion. When the spider webs unite, they can tie up a lion. And so if the individual black people, they don't have to <clears throat> expect white people to give them some land and country. They don't even have to get reparations. All they have to do is be transformed by the thinking of their minds. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I think that's some chapter and verse in Romans. Be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind. Stand the ground where your feet are. Determine what your brain is going to think about. See, we are so bad off as a people that first they taught us to entertain ourselves by calling ourselves bitches and hoes and gangsters and thugs and dogs. And now they've stepped it up in giving us the images of a black woman, effectively a hold to a white president. And then black people set up clubs to look at that as though, you know, being Sally Hemings to Thomas Jefferson is something great and something new. I mean, we're completely lost, and we're out of it. But that can change in a minute. See, if enough black people decide they're not looking at empire anymore, because people who classify themselves as white are looking at that and say, this is a planet of the apes. That's part of the listening audience. Part is looking at it saying, this is a planet of the apes. And other people are looking at it and thinking that they're movie stars. But that can change. That can change overnight. That can change overnight. See, turn off the TV. Turn off Fox. See, we ought to be given a clue. Fox spends all this time demeaning the first black president. So then are they going to give black people something that would be constructive for them, constructive for their development, constructive for the development of their children? I don't think so. Well, I think that's all, <laughs> right Mr. Jefferson. Thank you. Right on. Uh, the last um, caller, I guess, that we're taking. Okay. One did... more. Okay. Uh, the caller at 7947, last call for Dr. Welsing uh, before she exits. Did you uh, have a question? Yes, I, I, I did have a question. But you just, I mean, I just want to thank you. First of all, um, good evening, everyone, and good evening, Dr. Every question I had, and that last one was on reparations, you already answered. So I just want to really thank you for being on the show. Oh, and I do have a question. Have you ever been on Oprah or um, Gil Noble? Because this is, I mean, sad as it's now, this is the first time I've heard of you. 
Now, I don't know if a long time, many, many years ago, if I was ever on Bill Noble's show, maybe so, I might have been on his radio show a long time ago. I don't really remember. And I was on Oprah's show a long time ago before she became Oprah, when she was on the Baltimore channel. She had a co-host, and I was on that program briefly. And uh, sometime later, she asked me to be on her program, but I was not able to uh, to participate. Um, so does that answer your question? <laughs> it does. Thank you very much. I really, really enjoyed this, this show so, so much. I'm going to really share it with a lot of people that I know. Thank you so much, ma'am. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, folks can uh, check out Dr. Welsing, Detroit area. She will be coming there soon. Uh, and I know last time you were here, folks asked about a uh, book she recommended today that um, black people study some of the things that happened uh, in Nazi Germany, uh, as it might be revealing about things that are happening to us right now. Uh, I know two of the books uh, that I recently was able to get, uh, Destined to Witness, Growing Up Black in Nazi Germany. Uh, that's by Hans J. Massaqua. Uh, and the other one is The Summer of 45, a pictorial narrative of a Chicago kid growing up during Nazi Germany. Uh, and that's by John McNulty. Uh, and that just came out like real recently, like last year. Uh, but those are two I can recommend. Uh, folks want to do some studying on that area, report back. Reading is more important than watching television. Always a pleasure to have you uh, on the program, Dr. Welsing. Really appreciate you being so generous with your uh, Sunday evening. Uh, we will definitely uh, be uh, marinating on what you shared with us, thinking it over. And uh, we'll just look forward to being in touch with you again soon. Well, thank you for having me, and I certainly give you credit for having the uh, kinds of guests that you have on your program. It's helpful to us as a group. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you, Dr. Welsing. Take care. All right. Context of white supremacy, Dr. Frances Cress Welsing, always a treat to have her on the program, uh, again, for folks who are in the Detroit, Michigan area, uh, she will be speaking at the Wayne County Community College downtown campus on Thursday. That's this coming week, like five days, uh, Thursday, April 16th. Uh, the program is scheduled to begin at 11 a.m. Eastern in the Frank Hayden Room. Uh, so that's this Wednesday. I guess you can call or visit uh, Wayne County Community College, uh, the downtown campus, to get more information about when she'll be there, time, all that, if you have to get a ticket or any other information that you need uh, for folks who want to go and support. But again, that is this coming Thursday, Wayne County Community College, downtown campus. Uh, it's supposed to be in the Frank Hayden Room, uh, scheduled to begin at 11 a.m. Eastern. That's kind of an odd time, middle of the day on a Thursday. Anywho, uh, I guess if you, you know, have the ability to go check it out. Anywho, uh, we will be back uh, on Thursday. Um, really excited about the program. This is another we had to reschedule that we were supposed to get down uh, last Tuesday, but I was having computer issues. Actually, I got my computer back Tuesday, but whole nother story. Um, the book is called A World More Concrete it is phenomenal. Uh, 
Uh, it is all about retired firefighter in Florida and other listeners in the Florida area. It's pretty much a history of white terrorism in Miami specifically. Uh, it does have a few other tidbits about Florida in general, but it's really tightly focused on the uh, history and development of the city of Miami uh, and how terrorizing black people was like an integral aspect of that enterprise. Like that was how whites made money. Even sometimes they white, certain white people would give the appearance that they were supporting rights, human rights of black people. And that's not the case at all. They were doing things that were going to benefit them and further strengthen the system of white supremacy. But it is fantastic. Uh, he should be on the program, the author of a world more concrete. He should be on the program uh, on Tuesday, normal broadcast time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, he did an interview on Book TV. If you check it out, the book again is A World More Concrete. Uh, but he was on Book TV and gave some information. He was also on North Carolina Public Radio, uh, where he was basically talking about how, I mean, when you talk about dedication, terrorism, economic terrorism, where they'll have like a 70 year plan for what they want a particular area to look like and where they intend on warehousing black people like 70 years down the road. And you can see how all of this unfolded to be what they, you know, the vision that they had, the racist vision that they had almost a century ago. It's, it's just uh, really great information. Uh, thank anybody. If you just enjoy learning about racism, it's great, uh, particularly about the deliberate ways that whites practice racism. Uh, and especially if you are a resident or have been in the Florida area, uh, definitely uh, will probably be a lot of <laughs> constructive details about your particular uh, area, but that's Tuesday. Uh, you should chime in, should be constructive. Uh, also the white person who we're supposed to have on, he writes under the handle, very white guy. Uh, that's cowbell. He is married to a black female. He'll be on the program this coming Thursday. Uh, that was scheduled for last week. And again, we had to uh, reschedule, uh, with the problems, but we were able to plan that out for Thursday, Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, definitely get your questions at the ready to speak with a white person, suspected race soldier. Anywho, uh, we will be back. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I hope it was a constructive investment of your Sunday evening. I uh, know the archives, there were still some issues uh, with the feed updating. Uh, I'll post the MP3 link if folks want to uh, check this one out, as well as the link for Dr. Kanban, his visit this past Thursday uh, on the program. I'll make sure folks have those links, and hopefully uh, the feed will update to add the uh, recent shows that we've done in the month of April should be four to get all those in. But I know iTunes is, is current up until uh, the stuff we started doing this past Thursday and uh, the blueberry feed. Hopefully all that will update uh, ASAP. Anywho, uh, again, under conditions of white terrorism, sobriety would be best. If you are going to consume any intoxicants, definitely don't want to be behind the wheel. Uh, I would even discourage being a pedestrian under the influence because uh, as has been demonstrated almost on a daily basis, it just doesn't mean very much to kill a black person. Black lives do not matter. If you're out on the sidewalk, oh my gosh, he was drunk and, you know, he frightened everyone and, and we thought he was going to prowl and murder us all. So we had to shoot him 205 times. I mean, that's, you know, just what it'll be. So you want to try to do everything that you can to minimize white terrorism to the best of our ability. I think being sober would be a great step in the correct direction. If you are going to consume, codify that behavior so that you're not around any whites. Uh, and 
be mindful of the other victims that you're around because uh, that can cause a variety of unnecessary problems that can haunt you for a long, long time again under conditions of white supremacy. Sobriety would be best. Invest if you think the program is constructive. Racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com. Racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com. PayPal is in the top right corner. If you are not feeling PayPal, drop me an email and we will get you a physical mailing address. Listener supported counter racist radio. Thanks to all the folks who have supported, kept us on the air and rolling for six years plus. I hope the program has been and continues to be worthy of your time and energy. Uh, And last, I wanted to make sure I got in with regards to uh, Dr. Jennifer Daniels. I do not have any information about uh, her being married to a white person. I know that was raised uh, by uh, one of our male callers, Mr. Hill, I believe. Uh, Folks find that information. You can feel free to post it on my Facebook page so we'll all be more informed. But I haven't uh, seen any information to uh, confirm that that is the case. And I could just be poorly informed. Thanks all for tuning in. We'll be back in about 48 hours. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of racism. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It is an act of black self-respect to never forgive racism against black people. It has been time. Context of White Supremacy signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.